Alrighty, quick spoiler warning. As per usual, at the start of this uh, Pints of Popcorn podcast for uh, the Jeremy Gardner films um, and Christian Stella, uh, After Midnight and The Battery. Uh, both films are discussed at length. And there's even a brief mention of Cargo, the uh, Australian zombie film from a couple of years ago as well. Um, not too much spoiler alert there for that one, but certainly for After Midnight and The Battery. Uh, so this is the start of a, a three-pod drop week that we will drop th- this podcast, and then we'll have another one in a couple of days, um, and then another one a couple of days after that on Halloween. We're doing three double-feature pods. This one kind of organically turned into a double-feature in talking both about the battery and after midnight, and we decided to roll with that for Halloween week, uh, one of my favorite weeks of the year and months of the year and times of the year, and Jay's getting the spirit with watching a few uh, spooky season films as well. So, yeah. After Midnight and The Battery coming up today, a couple of low-budget indie ones that we really enjoy and um, wanted to kind of get uh, a, l- a little bit of um, talk out there about them. Certainly plenty of people know about them, but um, certainly deserve to be seen by a much wider audience. So, yeah, let's get into it. Pints and popcorn? It's not as bad as the name suggests. That's ridiculous. Someone get him a real shot, please. Yes, please. What, what does it taste like? Tastes like going blind. They can take our bones and bury them deep under the river, but we'll still be together and we cannot be defeated. They can take our trombones and pack them down there with us, but no matter how long it takes us, we will not be defeated when we dance, we dance. wake up and realize this is how it is out here now. Nobody's gonna flip the switch back on. Find some popcorn. Um, a second go at doing this recording <laughs> because uh, I think we, it was a couple of days ago we tried to do this and um, we had a, a technical mishap when my computer decided to crash and start updates that took like I think four hours later the computer finally like lit back up and was like yeah I'm good to go again I was like well Shay's we're just we're done for I think day. I was asleep yeah, yeah you would have been I was asleep point. by the time. <laughs> Yeah, so um, we got our intro recorded last time, and that was about it. So, uh, but today here we are finally. Um, I've done some test recordings, and the the computer seems to be hand, uh, working fine now. So we're going to be back for doing 
um, after midnight, the Jeremy Gardner 2019 um, flick, and then we'll be uh, kind of featuring the battery, which is Jeremy Gardner as um, uh, film from written and directed back in 2012 for uh, $6,000, so a nice low budget one. But they kind of pair together really well um, as far as being horror films that delve into the human experience as they're as, as the actual horror um, with just some creatures and zombies. Uh, it's still there, but um, it's kind of as metaphors for what's going on. So really cool double feature. Um, yeah, really excited to get into talking about it. Um, you've watched both as yeah, well. Yeah, I think both films like have a horror element to them, but they're not really about like what's going on with the horror stuff, I guess. Because like, the monster in... Or the alien, or what? I, I mean, we never get a real clear, and the spoilers have already been said. So mm. fuck y'all. But uh, <laughs> the alien, or whatever, in After Midnight, you know, we never, you know, it's part of it, but it's more about the human condition mm-hmm. and like missing someone. And then the battery is more of like kinship and friendship in the face of hard times. So it's like, do the zombies even matter in the battery? Um, or is it just about, you know, a couple friends going through a hard time? Like they, that could have, like that story could have been set against almost anything kind of any struggle, I guess. So yeah, I thought he did a good job with both of that. And obviously he wrote both of them. So I, he has, you know, a foot in what, uh, is going on obviously outside of just monsters. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's in, he's certainly got an interesting kind of lens into the world and I certainly, I, has to be and I, I well i watched the special features of um the battery last night and they talked a lot of the intro to the in the making of was uh it was um it's uh christian stella who also directed after midnight by the way it was both of them that directed that but it's written by jeremy gardner but um like him like christian stella jeremy gardner um they all kind of grew up together um making films from at the age at like very young age um they made one which was like a they showed a little bit of it in the special features last night. It was like it was very, it's very low budget kids making a film, but it was um a Jaws, a Jaws rip off, but with Pikachu instead. And it was like, nice. and like it's like there's a shot looking down the gun. It's like smile, smile, you son of a bitch, or whatever that line at the end of Jaws is, which I should yeah. remember at this moment, but I haven't seen it in a while. Um, and then like just shooting Pikachu, and you just hear the Pika. And it's just fucking hilarious. And then they they made another short film about killer plastic bags, and it was like sometimes from the viewpoint of the plastic bag, so a camera in the middle of a bag chasing someone down, and and lots of blood and stuff like that. Like and and Jeremy. Yeah, Gardner, these are creative people. Yeah, Jeremy Gardner without a beard and looking uh, looking very teen in in these these shots. But yeah, it's like these guys like they've all kind of you can tell from watching that special features that they grew up together, kind of both loving loving the idea of film lo- loving film and loving the process of trying to learn how to make films and that's like a lot of these people that have make films that are as good as the battery for six thousand dollars and after midnight is still a low budget film as well um they have to learn the hard way through hard like just hard work um and film film school is just their life growing up with kids being with a camera so it was really cool to see that kind of intro into how they got to making a film like the battery and uh, the fact that these people, like they all, kind of, you know, did grow up together and had a had a kinship that um, I guess you know maybe they've had. You know, I'm sure it wasn't easy at times making these small films growing up, so they probably had some t- hard times doing that. And a lot of that kind of friendship experience you can see going into going into the battery because um, it very much is a film about trying to work together through something that you need 
you know, you can't just be mates at a bar having a beer and having a good time. There's hard times that you need to need to work through in, in, in a zombie apocalypse. Um, I assume I haven't experienced it yet. Hopefully not going to experience it after after November this year, but, you know, we never know. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's an incredible, like, yeah, I guess being that it's the earlier film that kind of leads, a lot of it leads into, you know, they le- probably learned a lot of things with the battery going into After Midnight. We can start maybe talking about the battery a bit more and then, you know, chronologically as yeah. the films were made. Um, so, yeah. I know you, I, I call After Midnight and the battery 1A and 1B as in I think I like, which um interesting with the, the alphabetical titles of them as well, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, I like After Midnight more just as uh, some of the themes it goes into, but it's a very, you know, I love them both. I like, I don't want to get into an argument about them because I think they're actually both incredible films. And yeah, they don't deserve to be pitted against each other because yeah. they're really tell two different stories and like well beyond just like the horror nature of them like just the stories they're trying to tell are way different so it's like you know when it comes to the battery it's like maybe you compare that to Shaun of the Dead because it's like a buddy film but set in a zombie apocalypse but it's more American than British mm. humor because I thought the battery was funny and I thought um After Midnight was pretty funny too I thought yeah. they both had like I did not expect either of them to be as funny as they were and I think after midnight really benefited from having that actor who I knew his name, our last <laughs> Henry Zabrowski. Yeah. Yeah. Henry Zabrowski, which is a perfect name for that guy. Cause he looks like a Henry Zabrowski, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it really benefited from having him in the film. And I would have loved to see, you know, I don't think he could have pulled off a, a minor league pitcher <laughs> in the battery, but it would have been fun to see him in that role mm. in the battery because I just think he's such a great actor and such like a, he just has comedic timing. And, um, as you've seen by our intro at this point, <laughs> obviously, but, uh, I just, yeah, I think he kind of, like you said earlier is, um, maybe it was off air, but it's like the production value was just a lot better on after midnight because yeah. they got, you know, better actors and they got, um, better lighting, better scene, you know, that house is a perfect setting for it. Mm -hmm. I think I said to you before, um, the first time I was watching it, I said, wow, this is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre shit. And then like five minutes later, she says that, and it's just like perfect. (laughs) Like it, it's a good film. Like it is a good film. Like I hardly think it's like, we're doing it in October for spooky season, but I don't, it wasn't that spooky, you know? Yeah, well, um, I think that's um, like why I wanted to start because I'll, you know, once we get into um, a few more films this month, I will get to some more traditional horror films, but still ones that are, you know, uh, got something to talk about. But I wanted to kind of, I, because you know me, I love the horror genre so much, and part of the reason I love it is there is these little gems that, um, while they are classed as horror film, like I think it's, a, Wikipedia calls it a romantic monster movie, which monster movies do have, uh, you know, a sub subgenre of horror because monsters are scary. So, you know, anything that scares you can be classed as horror, depending on where you like how you look at it. But um, the Big Short is a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is a lot of monsters in that movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, the like, I mean, going back to the battery, I think like you know, as zombie films. Uh, it's an interesting genre because it's, it's been one that's been around for a long time, obviously. You know, the Romero films back in the, you know, starting in the 60s and, and 
it's kind of developed as we've gone and then you've gone to 28 days later which had a you know you're you're in, they're not actually dead they're infected and and we're not even don't even get a clear explanation of what the, these you know these zombies maybe seem like they're more infected than because it's a bite that doesn't kill like it just yeah anyway we're not going to get into the the specifics of zombies but it's just interesting to see how the zombie genre kind of <coughs> reflects you know people's fears and stuff like that because then um you know I'm trying to think of the other zombie film. There's a few zombie films. Oh, there's another one, uh, Australian one, that's actually really great um, that came out just a couple of years ago. It's got Martin Freeman as the main role, actually. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And but it's an Australian film called Cargo. Um, and the basic premise is that him and his wife and their young, young baby, uh, you know, gotten stuck in as a zombie apocalypse has broken out. They're traveling through there in Australia, and they're trying to just survive. But then. Um, early on in the film, it's not a spoiler really, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention at the start that I think we talk about the film, I guess. But they, the ba- the, the mother gets bitten and killed, and then the father, the father also gets bitten early in the film. And they know they've got about, I think there's like there's very good s- storytelling in it that shows that they've like the Australian gut, go- like the government has put out these packs before the it really got bad and said how like you know you've got like this many days before the infection really sets in, and then you turn. And so the movie is essentially just a, a trip, road trip kind of movie with Martin Freeman carrying his daughter across the Australian outback, trying to find somewhere that she will be safe before he turns. And um, then they meet people along the way, some good, some bad, and it's kind of just a... So, so you don't actually see too many zombies in the film. It's just a really good drama that is scary because of the zombie side of it, but it's also scary because of how different humans react to these kind of things and that's what this movie yeah. is too even though it's like very small but you have this this orchard whatever people that are kind of on the radio throughout the battery and and then you've also got the dynamic between the two of them and how they're both handling handling the you know you've got ben uh jeremy gardner's character who who really just just adapts straight away because he's just got that mentality but then you've got um, such a catcher yeah <laughs> it takes us i don't know we're allowed we're really allowed to be to, fa- we're allowed to be fat <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's just eating pudding out of a can. Um, yeah, I don't know what to really relate. Like a catcher. I guess you guys have catchers in cricket, but yeah, like a catcher in baseball is so much. It's just like a different mindset. Yeah, like, no, it's just like you have to be dialed in weirdly enough into it. Kind of like wrestling in well, America. Yeah, it'd be w- wicket keepers in cricket. Often the Australian wicket keeper is. Because they're, they're the closest person to the batter all the time. They're often chirping at them and chatting shit, like, you know. Oh, so Matt is probably a catcher. No, no I know he's a No, bit, no, he's, he, he's a, yeah, he's a bowler. A hurler. He's a, <laughs> he's a bowler. He can, he, but he certainly knows how to chat shit. Oh, like bowler. That. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, but yeah, yeah I just always think of catchers as, like, not very good at baseball but like they're willing to take a beating (laughs) so they they're allowed on the team like they hit like 220 but like wicket keepers in cricket often have to be decent like they they especially when you get to the national team they have to they have to hit um, be able to score some runs there's some been some great players for australia they've been the wicket and then they just yeah it is just they they chat shit because cricket is such a sport about getting into the minds of the other team so (laughs) It's yeah, they have to be a unique individual, I guess. Not sure they can be yeah. not sure they can be fat these days in the modern world, but um yeah. Well, you can still be a fat catcher, I think. <laughs> and the character of the pitcher, like he does play a like a pitcher really well. Just super sensitive and afraid of everything and just like 
mm. a one pitch bitch as he calls him, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I love how they drop that in that film as well. Like before you know that they're they were baseball players, it's mm. like oh they're just having a catch because like that's keeping them sane, and this and then it ends up being that they're baseball players, which is cool. Yeah, and it sounds like they're literally on like a baseball trip um, when this thing broke out, and they're just trying to get home, I guess, but, or they just got stuck out there, and which is just, yeah, the, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned before, I think off air, the, you know, the film title is literally a, you know, the, the name for a pitcher-catcher duo, um, and you've obviously got, I mean, there's a lot of things, his batteries are a big thing in the film with just him keeping his music going, which is like his way of keeping himself sane, and um, exactly, yeah. But yeah, it's just such a cool... The batteries thing. in the walkie-talkie, which yeah. ends up being a big part of the film. Which, like, I feel like they did set it up for, like, a sequel, kind of. Because um, if you watch into the credits, it's clear that Ben yeah. gets out. And he's of, on, uh, on his way for some reason. Even though he got shot. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah, depending, like, he got shot in the leg. And, you know, obviously, depending on where it goes through, it's either going to be serious or not. He's a big boy, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of meat on those bones. Yeah, so. and as long as it was a throw and through and the bullet hasn't got lodged in there, then he's probably going to be okay beyond like just keeping the wind clean. Which just like <laughs> fucking scary scenes in that film, though. Like yeah. that's like you know that's what a good horror film does without like having to show gore or anything like that. It's just create or like jump scares or anything. It just creates anxiety by the by the situation. Yeah, which, um, tension and anxiety think, are a lot more effective in the long run than jump scares like i love a good jump scare in some movies because there's some fucking fantastic ones are in in the film world and then when they're done right and in the process of a well film, there are jump scares in both of these though. yeah there yeah are. that's what when so, you when you mix the two of them when you just when a film just leans so much into just working out how they can make someone jump that's when it gets kind of corny and 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 annoying but when you when you kind of just have a nat, nat, natural horror usually tends itself to have jump scares because you just you're going to be your tension and anxiety builds towards jumping when something happens whereas if you just right right yeah anyway that's just me chatting shit about horror but yeah there's a jump scare like at the pivotal moment in after midnight there's a jump scare but you anticipate it you just don't know when it's going to come and so that like is a whole like it, it flips the jump scare on its head because it's like you know a jump scare is coming well i guess maybe all horror films are kind of like that with like you know a jump scare is coming but you don't know when and that's i actually what wasn't i think when like, i first watched after midnight i wasn't i kind of because that's i know you're talking about the ending dinner singing right yeah um so I, I think I'd gotten so wrapped up in, obviously, the discussion at the dinner table. They're talking about the relationship. And then Jeremy Garden has that great monologue where he's like, you know, you are enough for me, Abby, and stuff like that. We're going to bounce between both films here a bit. So that's just what it'll be. Um, Double feature. Yeah. So when, so when that happened, I was so kind of wrapped up in the moment, the human moment of it. I just completely forgot about the monster. I was like... And so See, when, that's good. Yeah, I so, was not. I was yeah. like, when is this fucking thing going to kill one of these people? Yeah, I was. Just, I thought it was good. Yeah, you got a spoiler alert at the front of this. Yeah, right? so the yeah every every pod starts with if you we're talking about these movies. If you haven't seen them, watch them unless you want them spoiled. So yeah, well, I thought it was going to grab her or yeah. Shane. I thought it was going to grab one of them because the way it's shot, which is good, you know, good directorial experience. Both, both films are um, shot incredibly well for low budget. Like and the battery, absolutely. especially, has got some great great um scenes um both the way they're framed and then yeah 
anyway yeah definitely the scene where he's stuck in the car like while he's waiting for mickey like out in the field yeah like that whole scene like it's just anxiety in a nutshell or Mm -hmm. in a whatever the car a volvo or whatever it is like (laughs) it's just like he acts it really well Mm -hmm. and that's what yeah i just wish like that entire film he would have had somebody to act off of that was a little bit better but uh I do feel like his co-actor in that film did pick up as the movie went on. Yeah. In like the moments that needed him to really sell it, he did that. But I just remind, oh man, I just um, my friend, our friend Laura, uh, texted me about this film um, once. I sent her a Snapchat of you know watching After Midnight mm-hmm. and seeing uh, Jeremy. She was like, oh, my God, he's in my favorite movie, The Battery, and that made me want to watch it. And obviously, you said you were going to watch it. And, uh, yeah, so shout out to her for it. Nice one. But I remember also texting her, like, right away, like, five minutes into The Battery or ten minutes in, whatever. I was just like, man, this other actor is just not doing it for me. (laughs) And I feel bad about that. Like, I don't want to be on a podcast being negative. but Yeah. And like it's, it's not, it's not there. It's just like I think it was, you know, when you're making a film for six thousand dollars and shooting it in fifteen days um, in Connecticut, by the way. So shout out to your. I know, uh, yeah, your, it your looked co- like your current current home right now. Um, yeah, what is yeah. Um, I th- I think I think he does. I'm not going to say it was like the greatest acting. I think he does a commendable. Jo- I just think there's certain lines he delivers that are just a touch wooden. Um, that's where I, I like. I did notice it, and when you mentioned it this morning, I thought, okay, so we both noticed that he's probably. I think it it makes it probably even more. Uh, the dynamic is even more sharper because we see because Jeremy Gardner I think is legitimately great in this as well. Oh, um, he's amazing! Yeah. I think he's when better consider- in this film, or he's better in the battery than he is after midnight, and it's probably just because his character is more likable. I think. See, I, 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 I will. I, We'll get to the likability in a sec because I'm still like, how do you? Th- you just don't throw a zombie into some guy's room. <laughs> well, if it's like your survival, if your survival depends on it. But yes, to a certain extent. But then it's also like there's a, there's a discussion to have, and I guess we can start talking about that now. I I will just finish by saying I think the the just with the acting, uh, the ending where uh, Mickey unfortunately gets bitten and climbs back into the car when he realizes and he's just begging for like he's like what do i do what do i do and he's like there's yeah when you've got the saliva coming out and you're just in tears and stuff like that like yeah his his he he hit a home run with that last scene that like yeah but i think yeah. jeremy gardner just overall throughout the film was just just a lot more consistent and better and he can't he, he can get, kind of tell just the character that gardner was playing was just like he he just fell right into it and was comfortable in that in that in that role so it's just like he just you know and watching the behind the scenes of him both on the after midnight set and a, and a bit of this one like you know when he's like you know he's scatting while they're while they're playing catch and he's just singing away and and he does that yeah he does that on the set of after midnight a bunch like just singing and scatting away with just just doop 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 they just just randomly yeah it's probably up. just like a way to like i think he's just that kind handle of handle your anxiety yeah so he just seems like a a bloke that just feels very comfortable in those kind of wacky shoes that he put himself into for the because the Ben character in this is in this is somewhat of a you know like we said already he's a catcher and he's a bit of a wild card but yeah I I get like he, I think his characters in both films are likable and also flawed but this I 
I guess I relate more to the the after midnight one because he is just a guy that's struggling with the kind of uh, it's like a pre midlife crisis is what he's in and in 2020 i think we're all there especially like you and me yeah like, definitely literally at the pretty much the same age as the character in after midnight and it's like whereas it in i think what the battery is is kind of investigating more on a human level is like how, we, <laughs> how yeah yeah rizzo's making an appearance i am filming uh recording out in our, my living room which i usually don't because the cat <laughs> <laughs> So usually I'm in I'm in the office where the cat can't get in, but she's she's going to be she'll make appearances here and there when she wants to come and say hi. So, um, but yeah, the battery's kind of talking about how we deal with like how humanity and how we deal with like these kind of oppressive circumstances you get into, like the end, like a, a apocalyptic circumstance, as as is a zombie apocalypse that kind of breaks down your society. And some some people are built to just naturally fall into the kind of the violent, the necessary violence um that you need <laughs> yeah i was just she's interested in cables which is a bad thing when there's a million cables lying around for this podcast recording setup so I yeah just, i'll occasionally just lean over and just swat her away um yeah cats are dicks when they want attention <laughs> i'll fuck with the shit that you know they know you shouldn't fuck with yeah um so and I understand what he's trying to get out of his friend. So the you know he's trying to get Mickey to be more present in the situation, but then, and you know he does he does break through to him in the in kind of a, a dick way by throwing the zombie into the room, which could have ended up very badly too, and then he would have been quite upset, I'm sure. But I guess he these zombies, luckily in this movie, are the shufflers, and um, they're pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. What do they call him in zombie <clears throat> too? Like Zombie Land too? Oh, it's like Homer's. Yeah, that's or right, whatever. Homer's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then but you, then uh yeah it was, yeah yeah it was i think also like if you know baseball like it's kind of cool seeing a catcher trying to like bring out this side of a pitcher that they know they have so that they can be successful yeah and quote unquote survive you know because that's i think a lot of uh, that's what a good catcher does in baseball is like you see everybody gets so annoyed when a catcher goes out to talk to a pitcher, but it's like, this is a super important part of the game. It's mm-hmm. like a catcher instilling confidence in a pitcher when they need it. Yeah. And the, and the good catchers really do a good job of that. And I thought Benny, you know, he tried to get through to him a lot of different ways. And then, um, you know, the, the last possible way he could get through to him was, you know, sink or swim. So he did that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, the best moment between either film is Benny dancing drunk. Yeah. <laughs> to, um, that, uh, I, li- I listened to that song a lot yesterday because it's a good one. And I meant to send that to you and Laura of me dancing drunk <laughs> to it. But I ended up getting too drunk, which I feel like Benny would appreciate. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they can take our bones. Oh, so good. Yeah, some great music in this one. And I think there's a song, I'm ch- I can't think of what the name of it is, but I think it's the one that Abby sings in After Midnight pops up on the soundtrack of this one too. Is one that was from, Oh, for real? Yeah, I'm 99%. It's either at someone, it's, there's a great soundtrack in both of them, by yeah, the way. Um, After Midnight's incredible. Yeah. That song that's in the trailer, which you'll hear, the, like, the, uh, I guess I'll have the trailers for both at the start of this one. Um, the song that's in the trailer for After Midnight is great and then the the little band that plays in the bar and after midnight is great yeah that's well. amazing they yeah. have them he walks in pats him on the back like, yeah oh, man. 
Yeah. That is in the fucking middle of nowhere where you can do that shit. <laughs> and it's like a fucking nice bar. I, if that bar was in fucking Wallingford, I'd go to it. Yeah, I love, I love the look of that bar. Like, I need to find out. I might need to just tweet at Jeremy Gardner and be like, dude, can you just let me know where that bar is? And please don't tell me it was a set because <laughs> they, they wouldn't have had the budget to build a bar for a set like that. So it's definitely a bar somewhere. But yeah, I want to go there. Oh, it looks like um, my FaceTime with Shay might have just failed, which is super weird. That hasn't happened before. So we'll take a quick break and be right back. Alrighty, so, you know, technology and stuff. <laughs> FaceTime failed for a sec there, but we're back on with Shay. Um, luckily, I was just at the end of a, just talking randomly about the bar and how much I li- we liked it. So, kind of a not not a bad point. To That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's on, I'd, it'd be hard for you and me to find a bar that we didn't uh, really enjoy, other than one that was, like, filled with dipshits, not wearing masks, <laughs> and, uh, you know, laughing in the face of COVID. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll drink at any bar, really. Yeah, I have drank at many bars around the world, and I've, as long as I've had a beer for me, I've enjoyed every one. Or even some other establishments in Amsterdam that didn't have beers, I still enjoyed those bars too. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, as long as you got a good vibe in there, it's all good. Um, that bar actually reminded me of a place in Amsterdam, I guess, like lots of wood and just. Yeah, it was a cool, cool looking bar though. But um, the I can't even remember where we we're going before we got to the bar part. But um, the battery, I guess we would. I just I think that there's a really good dynamic about um, and what I took a lot from this movie was about how we we all handle um hard situations and we're we're, we're a lot of us are obviously not a zombie apocalypse this year. I mean, I mean at least yeah, who knows how coronavirus is gonna. Gonna, it uh, feels like it sometimes. Yeah, and you know who knows what the next mu- mutation of COVID is, but um, we are we are, we're seeing a lot of people, and we you know there's no there's no right or wrong way to deal with. It. I mean, there's obviously wrong ways as the the government in America has, but like as far as actually how the individual deals with things, and you know some people get really anxious and have a hard time and need some help, and some people just knuckle down and and get through it and even though they're probably feeling quite anxious and 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 dealing with it in their own way they you know like ben in this movie he's he'd surely be and he says at times he's like i want to see my family too but they're probably fucking dead he just has a very pragmatic way of saying i hate this too but it is what he it also is. loses it at a point yeah it's like uh mickey does like he you know yeah. i mean it is when they're surrounded by zombies in a car where he's like you know, he loses it, but like, yeah. yeah and, then, and then he's just like, it's just rain on the tin roof. <laughs> like when yeah, Mickey turns exactly, around, yeah. it's just like kind of, a, yeah. And that's like why Mickey is such a cunt. It's just like, yeah, you just don't have to do that. But I also, no, but they, it, was, it, was ben, a car. it was Ben that said that first when he was just like, when Mickey was like, this noise is so right. But he was trying to make the best of it. Yeah. He was just like, all right, let's not fucking shit our britches. Like, let's just handle this shit. Yeah figure out a plan yeah and like yeah i just wish there like was a little bit more to the film where it's like and i like how he left both movies pretty wide open Mm -hmm. you know i don't i i love that type of storytelling where it's like well the audience can go wherever they want with it because but it is unsatisfying Obviously, and so a lot of people don't like it, but because you don't even know if she says yes at the end of After Midnight either. It's like, yeah, I think she's leaning towards it because her face kind of was like, and I think she was, 
I think her and just everyone else in that room was just mightily impressed that that uh, that he's just taken down. I'm I'm blanking on his character name in After Midnight because we've been talking about Ben and Mickey for the last um, Hank. Hank, yes, Hank. Um, I think. Wow, I first think, time ever on this podcast I know, that you, I knew a name. You just hit you, you just hit me with a name when I was blanking. That's a uh, that's a. Uh, I we, know Hank. I remember Hank and Wade. I was showering earlier. This is weird. <laughs> I was showering earlier, thinking about this film, and I'm like, I gotta know the names of these characters because they have like a really fun relationship. And I'm like, Wade, I know Wade. And I'm like, it's another four letter name, Hank. Boom. You just like I took me a while when but... she's going to sleep before, like in Game of Thrones, just speaking the names of everyone she's gonna kill. You're just in the shower going, I need to remember these podcast names. No, I do that every night, and <laughs> it is of the names of people I will kill. So it's uh. <laughs> uh... Uh, now we're on, now we're flagged for the 50th time <laughs> and we've only podcasted like 20 times probably yeah, on this. I think, I think this is the 21st episode that we're doing now. So, Oh dude, yeah. our podcast can drink <laughs> dope. in America. It could have yeah. drank three episodes ago in Australia. Yeah. And has been drinking since episode one. So terrible influences. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch that film again too, by the way. That was very good. Once upon a time. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Film. Yeah, no, I haven't watched it since we did the podcast on it. Cause, yeah, I thought of it because I've been... I listen to the alert. soundtrack. I'm drinking sh- Shipyard Pumpkinhead. There's a lot, Maybe of, we need to lot start... of big names going on in that. Just Shipyard Pumpkinhead. It's two words. Is that, a sleep, <laughs> is that a Sleepy Hollow kind of label on that? Yeah, that is it's from fucking... Rochester, New York. Um, that is so I think we need to start dope. saying it at the start of the podcast. Yeah, I need drinking. to start actually like put, I mean I'm only drinking a Red Bull right now, but I drank um Barossa Valley Brewing Hop Heaven IPAs while I was watching after midnight and um so There you go. Yeah, see, we need to get the get those pints out of the way, you know? Yeah. yeah Tell people what we're drinking. Yeah. But why did I bring that up? Oh, I've been drinking pumpkin beers this week. Yeah, you Wild were trend. you were you were in spooky season like well and truly and I love it. Yeah, well, you know, New England. That's where uh, Sleepy Hollow is. Um, yeah, Salem, but, Salem uh, North as well. Yeah. Um, but it reminded me of uh, all the beers I've been drinking. Is <laughs> Also talking to my ex-girlfriend, probably brought this up, but uh, <laughs> just him calling that girl Pumpkin Puss. <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. Like, that's so underratedly funny. Of, like, that film. And, like, people want to hate on that film so much. And it's like, that's so fucking funny. And no one wants... Like, it's not a Me Too thing. It's not anything like that. But just, like, him... Like, it's just, like, a sign of the time. Like, it's so yeah. funny. And Pumpkin she, And she's just like, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that little girl is woke. Yeah. That girl is woke for now. Like, not even, like going all the way back to the 60s that's a super woke person yeah yeah once upon a time is very good so everyone should go watch so that good. and go back to our first episode as well um, wow that was like at the start of quarantine yeah yeah we were like well we're stuck inside let's just watch once upon a time and then let's just start this movie podcast we've been talking about forever yeah. and now we're here and it's like no sign of ending here Nope, there's a shitload of movies, although there won't be too many that we can talk about from 2020, but um, yeah. We've only done one, Wes Anderson. I got all those locked up. Yeah, yeah, no, I've got... I'm only going to, like, pitch those once every, like, 25, so we, like, can save them. 
Yeah, I figured I'd let, I'd let you choose when you do. We we do Life Aquatic since that is your movie. So, episode one hundred. I'm calling it right now. All right, there we go. Everyone knows to look forward to that one. Um, what is that in like two years? <laughs> well, what we've done twenty one episodes. Well, we got okay, yeah, twenty one episodes in what? Yeah, no, twenty two in the can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, where where the fuck were we? Um, yeah, I right. I, I, no, I do no. this. No, this is what Pints of Popcorn is. Um, but yeah, I you I, got I, it, pumpkin puss. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, I didn't, never knew that twenty twenty would also include me being called pumpkin puss. But <laughs> we are. I mean, you got a red beard. I might start calling you it, which uh, <laughs> you know, just for entertainment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Um, that's so fucking funny though. All right, yeah. yeah, these these films were both pretty funny. Like they, have they kind of use the human experience. They find the humor in just the like, because if you think about a standard day in your life, there are a lot of conversations you have where funny things are said, and you'll have a chuckle with each other, and that's what kind of happens yeah. in these movies. Is it's just natural, you know. If you go to the bar, like you know, he goes to the bar with Wade, and they talk about drink <laughs> drinking the, the you know the bar mat juice, the gorilla farts, and that's hilarious, and that's just something not because I've heard people talk about doing not that. as bad as the name sounds. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, you just got like, you know, Ben and Mickey in, in the battery just living through a zombie apocalypse and kind of, you know, making jokes about, you know, I mean, just when you get, when he's just like, let's go get some blankets and pillows from your dead girlfriend's house. Like, <laughs> it's, so, yeah, it's, it's like, so Mickey is just so unlikable. I'm sorry. He's just, <laughs> so maybe there's no actor that could have portrayed him that I would have liked him. It's just See, like this like, emo this is, bitch. This, this is and it's just, probably how I would be I in think a that's just you, I think that's just you because I, I do. And it's maybe because I just look at I'm trying to look at the character and know that there are people that are good people out there. Because, you know, you can tell he's just, just wants some human connection because he's like, you know, because Ben's just kind of while being helpful, he's not exactly holding on to his humanity, whereas, you know, Mickey's just the guy. Well, they're athletes, yeah. too. Yeah, but, Mick, but Mickey's, like, you know, he's lost his, you know, his girlfriend's dead. Um, and he's just looking for it, and he's just... Well, everybody's dead. Not everybody. Yeah. Um, well, you know, he's just trying to... that point. He's trying to hold on to his humanity in a different way. Like, Ben's trying to hold on to his own humanity while also forgetting other people's a little bit, whereas Mickey's just... You know, he's dealing with it. We're dealing with it in his own way, and I can respect that as like a human because I know that people, you know, everyone's dealt with COVID in different ways um, and had to find coping mechanisms to get through this time. And some people handle it differently. Like I've, you know, some people have been more openly upset about it. Um, you know, whereas the business I work in, I've had just had to, you know, buck up and go to work, even though I don't. You know, sometimes you don't like it because you're worried about who's, you know, carrying it or whatever. But you just have to. Well, yeah, and you, you kind of have to. You can't. You can't. Australian have to, cunt yeah. Trump supporters <laughs> who live in Australia and somehow support Trump yeah. are fucking flailing pre- president. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I. Yeah, you just everybody deals with chaos differently. Yeah, like, I think there's not what, necessarily chaos, but like just um, a chaotic moment. Yeah, everybody like has different ways of coping with it. Yeah, and I think that's what this movie explores really well is that Ben Ben does just you know fall into it quite well because he's just whether his background and maybe his family was had a bit of history and just being a little bit more survivalist, whereas Mickey might have just been a you know a suburban kid that just played baseball and they've come because they're teammates. So who knows if they were actually good friends beforehand too? Like oh, they say it in the film. It's like he's like we never really like he says it to um, I 
can't remember the girl's name in it anymore, but he's like messaging her. Mm. Just like he's like, we didn't run in the same circles or whatever. He yeah, says something like, I, yeah. like, and I and like I've covered a a minor league baseball team. There's definitely like cliques within yeah. it. It's like high school. It's not you know. You're not necessarily friends with everybody because who the hell is friends with like 30 people at once, like, and that close, you know? Yeah. So it's a cool idea. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what this movie is about. It's two people that, you know, have to become friends because of an apocalypse and they're just stuck together, but then also learn how to live with each other. And I think that's what, and, you know, the throwing the zombie thing in was a bit of a dick. I did, I've said it a couple of times. It's a, it was a dick move, but it did it did also, as far as the story goes, it did awaken that side of uh, Mickey that was needed later on where he showed his bravery to jump out of the car and and try to find the keys, um, which, you know, obviously failed <laughs> quite badly. But then it's, it's funny how there's so many of these situations also. It was Mickey's fault that he didn't let it go with it was Annie, the girl on the other side of the radio. And, yeah. yeah. Um. I knew it started with an A. Yeah, and so you know they both kind of are culpable in the in the situation because, you know, maybe if Ben had been more open to just having just talking and let, making Mickey feel more comfortable, maybe he, Mickey wouldn't be on the radio at night trying to find someone to just talk to. Because Ben didn't. Ben kind of sh- just was a bit locked up about because you know you can tell probably beneath everything going on that he was worried about the whole situation, but. He was just doing what you know what some people do in these situations is not show your emotions and just tough it out, and that's what Ben was doing. Whereas Mickey was looking for a bit of an emotional outlet to try and talk about what was going on, and Ben wasn't that, so he's looking for someone else. So, in my head, I'm like, oh, while Mickey, it's Mickey's fault that Ben gets shot. It's also Ben, you know, why is why is Mickey on the radio look trying to talk to someone when you know there's someone right there? It's like he wasn't open enough to just have a conversation about things maybe and maybe that's why he's on the radio i don't these are just thoughts that have popped up but they, you know it's i when i was looking at the way the story took the storytelling side of it goes i was like that makes sense to write a story that kind of has both of those things be at fault because ben says oh why are we in this car in a situation and you know you got me shot but then as i'm listening to him talk i'm like well you know maybe maybe mickey would have been happier in this whole situation if you got if you'd not been such a hard ass at times you know because he need he needed Ben needs Mickey to be a bit tougher about the situation so they can survive, but then Ben needs to probably be also a bit more open to Mickey's um, different kind of personality to so they can work together better. So it's like a it's a battery. <laughs> exactly. And they both and they both relationship between the pitcher and catcher. It's yeah. like you have to trust each other and like if you don't trust each other then shit usually goes bad. Like yeah. if you're the Atlanta Braves tonight. But like <laughs> Yeah, that's one thing I just don't understand about the I think film. God, I think Gardner might ben be, didn't want it. Gardner, Gardner Go might be a might, Gardner might be a Braves fan. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I could see that he's yeah. a Southern boy, but yeah. uh, apologize. Yeah, if you like why they didn't want to just like chill in the suburbs in a house. It's like I get why that. I get you know they hint at you know them being stuck in a house for for three months, but it's like. Yeah, well, that's not this situation. For one night, you could probably, like, fucking chill in a house. Yeah. You know? So that's where, like, yeah. Where Ben could have placated Benny. Or, uh, where Mickey. Ben could have placated Mickey. Yeah. Quite a bit. It's like, 
yeah, you probably could have done that. Because they're in the suburbs. There are no zombies even around, you know? Yeah. There's just your ex-girlfriend's underwear, which you're smelling for some reason, which is all just... You know, it is what it is. It's a zombie apocalypse. That's not the weirdest thing going on, so... <laughs> Um, True. Honestly, maybe the most normal thing going on. Yeah, <laughs> it's 2020. We don't kink shame. Um, the uh, sex positive podcast. Yeah. Um, the client. I mean, the, I think you mentioned off air. Maybe this film had its slow moments, but it's not like in a bad way. But the the climax of the film, from when they get to the point of trying to siphon the fuel from the car, that then the bloke turns up and holds a knife to Mickey's throat, and then onwards from there is is an amazing last final act, I guess. It was, what, the last half hour of the film, maybe, because then they get stuck in the car for a while. But that scene, just um, starting with that, with the knife to the throat and all that, was incredibly tense and awesome. Like, the, the performances in that scene and the filmmaking, and just the... just. Gardner was, you know, hit, you know, firing, firing the balls at a hundred, hundred miles an hour in that scene where he's like trying to talk the guy down and and tricks him into getting into the car when he's still got the keys and yeah, that entire uh, starting. I mean, that that scene itself was just such a great horror scene where the horror isn't. Yeah, and in so many zombie movies, this is the case: is the horror was the humans trying to you know, opponent yeah the yeah, human yeah. opponent that you're trying to trying to reach into their humanity whereas they're losing it and just trying to you know they're it's all you know all for one or what yeah just they're, they're just thinking about themselves and it's something it's a trope that's um in a lot of zombie movies but when it's done very well um you know the human that's trying to hold on to humanity and all that stuff it's really it's really cool and you know um quite a uh quite a um and you know it's a it's a baseball thing too. You're trying to trick the uh, trick the opponent, um, you know, pitcher and catcher, trying to work the opponent into you know swinging at swinging at something false, and and then he gets him into the car when he's still got the keys in his pocket. So <laughs> it's um really cool, uh, really cool scene and um pretty brutal. Well, I love how they cast that guy too. They cast him as like that's like a perfect actor casting. To you mean me. that you mean the the guy that was trying to steal the car? With the knife, yeah, because yeah, um, he was kind of like office worker, like dweeb family guy. Yeah, exactly. Guy, but, like he's yeah. not, he's not built. <clears throat> he's not built for an apocalypse, and yeah. he's trying to be. And Ben knows that. Mm. <laughs> like Ben knows that he's dealing with like a guy that's like a fake tough guy. Yeah, and that guy's just trying to be tough. And that's again where it's like Mickey, can you not like just overpower this guy jesus christ he's you know like fe- <laughs> to be fair when he's not- just such a victim throughout the entire film that it's annoying the, it doesn't matter that you see plenty of movies where a guy's holding a knife to the throat of someone who could overpower him but when a knife is held to your throat and if, if, if it's a particularly sh- if that knife is any degree of sharp enough yeah it do- it's not going to take much for that to cut through yeah it's it true but like but uh, then he quickly moves to like i'll take his eye and it's like Again, a sharp movement there ends up with a knife in your eye, and you're in the same boat. Yeah, that's, it's true. That's trusting. It's just like he's trusting his catcher in that moment. So it's true. I'm yeah. just saying that if Ben would have had the the knife to his throat, and it was Mickey on the other side, and Mickey would have like shot himself, his own self, in the head, and let Ben <laughs> die, probably. And Ben would have find, would have found a way out of it because Ben is a survivor, and Mickey's just kind of like, you know. It's really like Ben is stuck with a survivor. Like, 
he's a survivor and he's stuck with a guy that needs to rely on a survivor. Yeah, and then the but then what are what are we talking about in real life here is that there is people out there that need help from you know there are people out there that do need help and some people are capable yeah, of giving the help. Me so that's, that's, that's easily need help. Yeah, just with anything. So that's just the human. I'll take it, that's just the human whatever experience. you're gonna give it. That's the human experience. That sometimes you do need to accept that you know maybe maybe you do have the skills to survive better, but if you if you are cold-hearted enough to not help someone who needs it, then are you like are you are you even human anymore? Like you know you're just you're just as bad as the others. So um, that's that's what. It's like, also insane that like that's what a lot of these films are exploring. I think. Yeah, like Ben was able to trap a zombie. Yeah, and like unleash it on mickey and it's like if you can trap a zombie why are you worried about your like cohort like if you're that good at like dealing with zombies that you could trap one yeah and tie it up like why are you worried about what your cohort's doing yeah unless you're truly worried about like his own life because he's wearing headphones or whatever but yeah. and i think there was yeah. that deep down is like mickey ben uh ben doesn't want to go through this alone either like mickey you know he's done doesn't say it, and that's part of the problem is that by the end of the film you know, definitely the part fact, of the problem. Yeah, the fact is, at the end of the film, he's going to go get revenge because he's that's how hurt he is by the fact that this situation has happened. So he obviously cared for him. It's just he never said it enough in the moment, and they never got through to that point where they could like realize that for different reasons they need each other. You know, Ben doesn't need Mickey to survive, but he needs him to hold on to his humanity. So that's a you know, there's different things. You know, there's physical. The physical need that Mickey has of Ben, but then Ben probably doesn't admit enough that he need he he'd be lost as far as his his sanity might be lost if he doesn't have Mickey around, and you know he's about to find out with the you know whatever happens after the end of the film. But he's you know he he maybe <coughs> uses it as healthy as he can when get it, Rizzo. Um, by just saying, well, I'm going to use this and go get revenge, and you know maybe that's the last human thing I can do, and who knows what happens after that. But yeah. It is good writing, though, where, you know, he gets shot. And the reason he gets shot is what it is. It's mm -hmm. because of Mickey. But, like, because the entire time they're stuck in the car, I'm like, couldn't you? Like, I know there's a bunch of zombies around. But, like, couldn't you both, like, unlatch the back hatch and, like, kick it as hard as you could with both legs? Mm -hmm. And, like, spill zombies out and then just run? And then it's like, oh, shit, yeah, he got shot. Yeah. Like so, it's 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 like he wrote himself into a good situation where it's like you feel his anxiety because you know there's not much he can do. Yeah, because he would at this point he would have been jumping out of that car looking for the keys if he could. I think because that's just the oh, he would have done it immediately. I don't think they would have been waiting yeah. there at all. But, he, um, but he had to get Mickey drunk and he had to get him. You know. Yeah. And, you know, that's Mickey's journey throughout the film, too, is that, like, you know, he kills that zombie in the room because he has to because Ben forces it in there. But then he, uh, that probably helps him get to the point that he thinks he can get out of the car. And even though he fails, obviously, unfortunately, and um, gets shot, which um, a pretty heartbreaking scene there. Um, yeah, really hard, you know. And, uh, yeah. Had to happen, though. Yeah. I oh yeah. Once he's he got bit, and you know we all know what's going to happen after that. But there is an incredible, incredible moment of the film with the emotions in that scene where, because you know something that you know when your final moments are upon you, and especially when it's from, come from a zombie bite, I'm sure like trying to handle that and be like hold on to your 
life by saying, just let me, like, you know, he's begging for his life while also asking what's going to happen because he do, he's just trying to process all this at once while Ben's also holding the gun to his head because he's like, this is what needs to happen now, unfortunately. Like, we've seen it in plenty of zombie movies. This is, like, an emotional moment in plenty of these kind of films, but they did it well. Like, um, you know, they made it their own. Well, they draw it out forever. Yeah. It's just like, all right, yeah. Yeah, which is, and you're like, just fucking shoot it, man. <laughs> like, we all know what has to happen here, and he finally does it. And they like the camera work in it, like, it's really good. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, if you can do that scene right, because it does happen plenty. Like, it was, I remember, like, the first episode of The Walking Dead, or maybe the second one, when the the bloke shoots his, you know, he's been watching his wife amble around in front of the house for like months on end because he can't bring himself to do it, and I think he finally shoots her. And it's just like, God, that's fucking rough like but you know when you do the scene right and add the, some emotional levity to it it's um still hits hits home so they, they again another thing the battery did really well for a, a low budget film so um i guess we've just talked about this one for the first half of this pod but we should just we should just do the tomatoes for this one now and then and then go on to after yeah midnight, after midnight after because I'm, I'm sure we'll still bounce more between both as we have with this one but um let me just get it up here. Um, so the battery, uh, 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. It's got uh, 80% on Rotten Tomatoes and 83% like the film on Google. I'll give it an 80. I think that's good. Yeah. I think that's a solid rating for it for a low-budget horror movie. I think that's incredible for a, a movie made for six grand and um, very, yeah, very much the uh, the... Uh, like micro budget um, indie film as a you know when you're going under 10 grand for a film it's um yeah production values for it there's there's a few scenes where you notice the cameras like um the focus not quite as sharp um so a lot of those those close-up indoor moving scenes but a lot of the other also when gardner spits blood after he gets punched a couple times it's like yeah that's not super realistic <laughs> like that's not how that works at all but uh I think it's a credit that this film has an 80 on Rotten Tomatoes and it's Jeremy Gardner's credit because it's well it's well written mm. and it's well acted by him. You know, I think his acting really sells it and uh, his writing really sells it. So, yeah. I Yeah, 80 is good yeah. for this film. Yeah, I think that sits about pretty... Pretty close, and you got eighty three percent of Google users liking it, which is a pretty good reception from um from that as well. It'll be interesting. I, I've already looked. I know what the After Midnight ones are after, and I think that's a film that was a bit more miss. Not not nothing against the film. I think it was um people didn't realize what the film was going to be about when they went in and watched it. So, but um yeah, I think After Midnight um sorry, the Battery was a um probably one of the best examples of a low budget horror film. Um, in these modern times, because the, the, they really, um, you know, with the you know, last 10, 15 years of camera technology and stuff, it's been a lot more accessible for you to be able to get high quality image, images on film um, at, a low, at a low budget. And I think this is one of those films that really shows it. Some of the, and it certainly is a credit to their technique with the camera as well, uh, Jeremy Gardner and, and the and the crew that was on, on this film was that they really do some great shots, like um, frame shot And, Inside the car at the end of the movie, um, you know, there's a bet, what, 20, 25 minutes that you're inside the car. And at the, least, yeah. yeah. By the way, that fucking car would stink. Like, that's the one thing. I, yeah, I was going to bring it up earlier. Come, it's like, they're just puffing heaters in there, and it's like... Well, where are they they're shitting and pissing in that thing, too? 
They're not. I don't know, like what? What? What does your digestive system turn into in a zombie apocalypse? It's like I'm how sure. often are you taking a dump? Well, you're at least it's got to be every few days. Like you're still eating. They're still eating canned meats, canned vegetables. There's going to be some. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. I was like, I, I, they needs to be mentioned once, and it wasn't. It's not a knock on the film at all because it's not important. But I was like, well, they no. have the windows open a crack. Yeah, that's true. They do crack the window, so you know it probably wouldn't be as bad. But still. well, they're just puffing heaters in there, yeah. so it's just like trapping all that smell and that smoke, and it's just like, jeez. Yeah, and then they put the curtains up in the windows. So it's going to be soaking in that smell as well, and. I just don't understand, again, I don't understand why Ben was so opposed to, like, just chilling out and, like, having a few beers in the suburbs where, you know, you've already checked out the house. Like, yeah, they'd be I know you don't want to get stuck there. Yeah. But, like, you'd figure out a way to, like, make sure not a lot of people, like, zombies were coming around or something, like, shifts or something. And yeah. then you could rip beers and, like, that's what I never understand about these things. It's like everything is available to mm-hmm. you if you're alive, yeah. you know, right? That's probably the one thing because these zombies will never get like the fact they could spend days on end in a car without them getting in. These zombies aren't breaking windows, breaking doors down. Like, you know, other other zombie movies, you know, if you get stuck in a car, they're smashing through those windows and pulling you out. Like, um, you know, but these, these are home. Yeah. yeah. So you'd, well, you'd be able to set up a house for defense pretty well. And then. And considering they've, and you just you just find a suburb where you know there's you could have different houses and you just move around every now and then when when maybe a few zombies start hanging around and get the smell you move like you know yeah there'd be a way of handling or like it. yeah like if you like you could literally like grab a six pack go sit on the roof for like months on months yeah, and, then and just sit on the roof and see what's going on. And then if fucking zombies come, you just like pour gasoline on them or something and light them on fire, you know? Yeah. Like, but that's all, you know, you're thinking yeah. about this, in, you know, yeah. 4D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what I, I, the point I was making about the car was just that they did like, you know, considering that. Oh, it was amazing. Shooting, yeah. shooting, shooting uh, footage inside of a car, um, which would have been uncomfortable as a crew, by the way, but like they, they, Found probably smelled weird on its own yeah. as well yeah they found different angles for each shot which was cool like you did they didn't just use the same shot they found different angles for every time and and certainly when they were drinking in the car as well they found a way of making that interesting it's just like it was really good really good low budget filmmaking to absolutely maximize every everything you've got um which is you know minimal compared to you know a big budget shoot is um yeah they did a really really incredible job with it so it's a movie that if you watched it without, like I went into this movie knowing the story, at least its budget and the fact it wasn't indie, but if I just come across this on, you know, watching on Showtime or whatever and just watched it without knowing, I would have then, and then Googled it, it would have shocked me that it was only six grand because it, it looks like a film made. Yeah, I didn't know that going into yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was low budget, but yeah. six grand is very low budget oh like, and the amount of the just the, just the equipment alone like i'm sure they had you know what that there's a lot of things that sometimes don't get included the budget that you get but like depending on what this what they but yeah six grand is incredible and you know it wasn't um there's some good not that there's that much gore but there's you know a bit of blood here and there and so it was just it was realistic as well um for the most part so it's just um yeah incredible job that they've done with this one and um, yeah, really happy to have the two pack of them from Arrow Films as we, um, with the, the they did a really good job with, you know, and this is a movie that I wouldn't, may, maybe wouldn't have watched if I didn't have it come with my After Midnight, um, limited edition I got from Arrow. So 
really glad it came with both. But um, I think we're about ready for a break, and then we'll get into get into a bit more in depth of after midnight after we <laughs> yeah. after we do the break. So yeah. we'll be. This right. is definitely a double feature podcast. Yeah, yeah, and it's really quite fun. So we'll be back with you in a moment. Listen, baby, you're gonna to talk to me sooner or later. You can't just disappear. Ever since you left, some kind of thing's been coming out of the woods every night. I'm going crazy without her. I'm going around town telling people there's a big bad wolf trying to blow our house down. Maybe she got tired of waiting around. She just tell your sister she y'all just come on home. Yeah, kitty, kitty, kitty. See what it did to my door? How do you know, though? I saw it. There ain't one town don't have someone saying they've seen something they can't explain. You're right about most things, but you're wrong about one thing. You are enough for me, Abby. It's not you. You like a werewolf or something? All right, second half of the Pines Misty Cups. <laughs> um, we'll, 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 you can tell that story on air sometime. We'll save it for another time. <laughs> Never um, just know Miss hashtag Misty Cups yeah. forever. Um, so second half of the, we've talked about doing a little double feature pod for this one. We did, uh, the battery, Jeremy Gardner's, uh, 2012 film in the first half. And now, 2012, man. yeah, yeah. And it's wild. It's so wild, like, can, many years between that and after midnight. Yeah. And you can kind of tell like he's, his voice even has a different, like there's a depth to his voice in after really? midnight. Really? You look like the exact same person to me, but like, we'll, we'll maybe get into this later. He has the weirdest body and he has a huge head and I just don't know what to do with him as a person. And if you're listening, Jeremy, I'm, I don't mean that as disrespect. I'm I look weird too, but like, <laughs> I don't like get him like, like him is like a romantic lead was weird. It's like you're just like a very strange looking man. No offense, like no offense. He, he seems he seems very like charismatic though. Like when he's when they like you know and you know, oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah you get it. so um. Yeah, he's. Uh, I can imagine like the sweeping up, but then that's where the character comes in too. Is the fact that you know he is this char- like charismatic person that sweeps Abby um, Brea Grant, who plays the role brilliantly, off her feet. Um, you know, in the flashback scenes, we see all that stuff, and, and it's very believable and genuine. And then you know that's also the part of his character, though, is he falls into the falls into the trap of becoming comfortable and apathetic to everything, and and that's where uh, you know she goes, oh, no, not need more than this so yeah yeah the fact that they're like like a decade into their relationship which Mm. like you don't really realize until that like i think like other than the last scene um he yeah i think that scene their fight but not fight is so realistic and so perfect when they're waiting for the monster when she comes back and they're waiting for the monster and he takes like 
a million drinks out of the same beer bottle is what it looks like. <laughs> that's one that's one flaw I have with this is he's always drinking from a beer bottle. It's like, how much alcohol does that bottle have in it? Because I would like to buy it. But uh <laughs> But that fight they have is so realistic and like he sells it and she sells it and like they both know exactly what it's like to be in that role of that fight, which is perfect because a lot of the times you see this stuff in films, you're like, that's not how like reality actually goes because one person always has the upper hand in a fight Mm. and she definitely has the upper hand in the fight and he's playing defensive, but he's playing drunk defensive guy who has a gun in his lap and he starts like, oh, like when he starts cocking it and she's just like, don't do that yeah it's like oh my like that's so realistic it was so good and he's he, like and he kind of just does this te- like he's got tears in his eyes constantly he kind of just says like when she makes a point that he's just like it's hard for him to hear he does this like like cock of the head like ugh, like he knows he does, she's he does, right he doesn't actually but he have doesn't anything to say yeah it. he's just like he's, that's very realistic yeah it's um Misty Cups. <laughs> <laughs> it's very realistic. Yeah, yeah. It's it's probably the, the scene of the film is that because of the Oh ca- easily. The, the camera shot is like beautifully. I, Yeah, shot be like the, the entire film is shot beautifully and framed incredibly well. And that I think that I'm trying to think of the scene. The feel, the camera seems like it's just very, very slowly kind of in, just moving in on them as this, like, you know, what, five minutes of dialogue is happening. Well, there's a natural frame. It has yeah. to be more than five minutes. That scene feels like an eternity. If it's just five minutes, that just shows the weight of how good that scene yeah. is. Yeah, and well, it's only an 83-minute film, so it might have been more than five minutes, but it, it, everything is done pretty sharply in this movie. So, um, but yeah, you, you're absolutely right. The um, That scene details a couple having a hard conversation better than most most films in Hollywood history, really. It does it so realistically. It doesn't have... You know, because so many films to do the, like, dramatic yelling, and, 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 and that happens too. Like, you know, I've, I haven't seen Mary's Story, but I've seen some of the scenes in the in the awards season with them, you know, yelling and whatever, and that, that, that happens too. But, like, this scene is so much more grounded in what actual hard couple, couple conversations are sometimes. It's just someone just talking calmly but with an anger underneath their voice about why they're having to say these words about the situation they're in and then someone else just having to take it because that's sometimes what it is is someone finally saying their piece and the other person just having to sit there and take it and that's what the scene is and you know we've talked about it a a bit with other films um you know hello high water and and, uh, fargo as well recently where we talked about verbal shootouts this one's very much just one person firing Firing barbs and the other person just having to take take the bullets, um, and that's like and, and and yeah, and it's it's what and you know, it is such a male thing, and I, I say this as someone who's very much accepting of like, he listens to all that then and there and doesn't have something to say to it, but then you know a day later when they're having their or was a day later maybe when they're having the dinner. And I think it's a daily. Yeah, yeah, and and the, having the, her birthday dinner, and he and, he, and he's had the time to process it, and then he says says his piece really well, and that's something that I've been through many times when you hear something hard, and then like a day later, you know how to respond to it because it's just it's such a thing that you just don't know in the moment. You're like, oh fuck, it's hard, and and it's hard you because you shouldn't thrive on emotion. You know, you shouldn't like react with emotion. Yeah. You should be able to like have time, but like that's not what the world is. Yeah. So you just have to you know, cock your shotgun while you wait for a monster to show up that you, in your head, know that it isn't going to show up. And that could be, like, I don't know what the monster represents in After Midnight. It could represent a lot of things, but 
the fact that he knew it wasn't going to show up when she was there was very, I don't know, there's just something about that tied into their relationship, too. Mm-hmm. And there's also, like, this leap of faith that she was doing, knowing that he, like, he thought there was a monster and all this stuff, even though she's making fun of him the whole time. It's like, when's this monster going to show up? Blah, 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 blah. But, like, there's something about I Yeah. I would love to know. I would love to ask Jeremy what the monster is about, you know, what it truly represents. And, I, you know, maybe he doesn't even know. I don't know, but... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I've thought about it a lot. Like, because obviously I watched this film back, you know, months ago at the start of the pandemic, and obviously um, it stuck with me then. And I thought about it a lot in the time afterwards. And because the monster is very much real as well. At the end of the film, we obviously find out that it it literally exists and attacks him. And I think the monster represents like the encroaching. Um, uh, well, like, because a lot of this film is about the things that we that are left unsaid, what should be said, um, and you know the things that we we try to push aside, you know, issues, you know, whether that be in life, relationships, whatever that we we don't want to look at, um, but but are always there and are always bothering us. Um, often late at night too. It's often late at night when you're thinking about these things. So the monster turns After up after midnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I woke up at like three a.m. this morning from some random nightmare or something spooky and ghosty so it wasn't anything like um real human it was just i woke up at this like fuck god damn like it is after midnight when like all the weird things happen in your brain but he uh you know this monster comes around and almost gets in the house but it doesn't quite get in um so it's like it's there almost there but not there kind of like these issues in their relationship that were there but they never never spoken so they were just on the outside of the house um but then at the end of the film, when he finally says his piece, uh, she said her piece in the night before, and then he says his piece and says, you are enough for me, Abby. And it really, again, really both the scene where she says what she says and then the next day when he has his um, says what he says and then sings the karaoke is just both really good, um, well-acted scenes and, and well-shot and everything and just about them just really hits the emotional impact of the film that was building to those points that really hammers at home. Um but then he's finally accepted all these things and then the monster finally breaks in and that's like the final test to it, I guess, is the monster kind of represents him finally defeating those demons that were hanging out in the back of the mind. You know, it finally gets... He's going to move to Miami. Yeah, and and so, you know, and, <laughs> and he holds the bottle up with the ring underneath it and says, do you want to drink another you know case of this shit with me? Like, you know, yeah, what, cool. a, what a great proposal that is. Um, but yeah, I, that's kind of what I and I could be way off base with the, but that's just how the monster was, how it kind of manifests itself to me. No, I think it, you're right. Yeah, um, but I also think that there's this side of it where it's like living in a small town and it's like the vitriol of living in that town and all the judgment surrounding mm-hmm. you of like not being married is out there. Yeah. And, like, once you finally, like, accept it and, like, he wants to marry this girl and, like, he literally has to defeat that to, like, get past all this stuff. This small-town dynamic is really interesting in the film, and I think Mm. there's something to be said for it. I think they definitely chose that for a reason because, you know, it is, you know, the small-town cop who doesn't give a shit, you know, about what his basically brother-in-law is saying, um... Um, it's just small town stuff, you know? It's like a cop that has nothing to, else to do with his time, you know, other than come and bother his brother. And then, like, you know, the town is talking about how, like, they've been together for 10 years but aren't married and don't have kids. And that kind of keeps coming up throughout the movie. It's like, 
oh yeah, when are you gonna do this and blah 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 blah. And Ben kind of always poo- poos it, but uh, mm-hmm. not Ben, <laughs> yeah, Hank. Hank. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think the monster could represent a lot of things. And um, but again, the movie's not really about the monster; it's about the relationship and just kind of Ben's growth or <laughs> Hank's growth. Yeah. God damn. Well, yeah, yeah. with the with the luckily this podcast will be very understandable as to which one. At least they're both monosyllable names. It's very easy to. <laughs> go That's what is confusing me too. I think, and then there's like Mick and you know Wade as his friend, yeah. which is a couple other. Yeah. Yeah. I hate the name Mickey, but it's uh, <laughs> a whole different story. Summary: What does Mickey remind me of? I don't know. I'm thinking of an alcohol. Um, Mickey's, yeah, the the is that, like um, a, is that like a malt liquor of some sort? Malt liquor, yeah. yeah. Okay, that might be what I'm thinking. I about. like Mickey's, the drink. I, I just don't like the name Mickey. I think I think me and Brad might have played beer pong with that once, and that was a oh my god, that sounds like some Eugene shit. That we oh yeah, done. it was definitely it was definitely we woke up the next day and said we're not going to do that again. Like <laughs> malt liquor is insane. And yeah. by the way, like White Claws in all of the seltzers are malt liquor. They're just marketed as seltzer, yeah. but it's malt liquor, yeah, so it white, fucks you up just the same. White, That's why, like, yeah, yeah. White Claws coming to Australia, by the way. I saw a Facebook ad the other day. Have you had one yet? No, I haven't because I'm in Australia and they don't have it here. And then when I was over there, I wasn't degrading myself to that point. So. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna say like. It, it existed. You're in Lincoln, like. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't make me drink one while I was in Lincoln. I was kind of surprised, but I also didn't like argue it because I wanted to drink like good beer instead. I was pretty ready to like just crush beers yeah. when you were back, but. I mean, it's good. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's time tra- it's time traveling juice because you drink like you start drinking it and it tastes like soda and you're like, Oh, I'll have five of these and then all you know is it's like ten hours later and you're like, All right. <laughs> what happened to my day? <laughs> yeah, well that's very much what uh, I think um Hank was going through in after midnight because, you know, waking up on the couch with a uh, handful of bottles around him and realizing there's a monster scratching at the door again. But um yeah, and fun. that could be another like that could be an allegory for depression too. It's just sitting. There oh, certainly like, some anxieties and like you know. I think he. I, have we mentioned this? No, I think we met. I think this got mentioned on the uh, long lost uh, first attempt at recording <laughs> this the other day. I think this um, one is better because we talked about the battery yeah, a lot more. Yeah. But uh, he mentions that um, the, the writing of this movie I think happened in the uh, time just after the battery. So you know, it was written a few years before it actually finally got made, but. Um, he says it came from a dark place of uh, some angst and whatever over relationships and whatnot. So it certainly is a very personal film again, um, probably more so than The Battery, even though The Battery, I'm sure, had some friendship dynamics and stuff written into it, obviously, as we've talked about. But yeah, this film was written from a place of angst and and depression regarding relationships, I guess. So it's certainly... And I think that's what, you know, you can't really put it into a box this film because you know when when real issues like this do have a lot of things that go into it you might have some anxieties and depression and a lot of mental issues that um and not just those one it's just you know the issues that come from growing up in a small town sometimes too it's not like you can actually define it to a, a mental issue it's just the fact that you are sometimes molded by your surroundings and you need to break yourself out of that too um sometimes and realize that what you've grown up with doesn't isn't exactly healthy, you know. Small town dynamics. Um, you know, you and I, but well, you 
um, yeah, my I the town that I grew up in or near was eight hundred people population roughly, and you know there's a lot of that going on there too. Is like you have to break yourself out of that the mindsets that dominate because small towns sometimes become an echo chamber that make themselves uh, more important than they really you know it's not like anything's less or more important than it is but there is a greater wider world out there than than that little echo chamber and yeah there's a lot of things going on in this movie about apathy apathy in relationships and stuff like that but it's also about you know getting getting out of you know and that apathy comes from thinking that that small town is enough and that and and even more so that people should be accepting of it, whereas you know not everyone you know if someone's happy in a small town is fine, that's great. But then if the your other half is looking for more and that's what fuels them, and makes them happy, then you've got to you've got to accept that and realize that too, and uh, and and acknowledge it and be supportive of it. So and then see where it takes you. If it's not going to work, then it won't work. But if you if you genuinely care about someone and want to be with someone, then then you'll both work to each other's happiness. That's what that's what it is. That's what that's what teamwork in these in relationships is. You both you both push pushing and pulling, but you 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 work out the right way by talking about it, which is what they get to eventually. Yeah, he plays this role of like this guy that's like anti, you know, big city or whatever. And like t- they talk about like the people in that town having their nose up and all that stuff. And he has this peanut wine from Georgia and all that stuff. And it's like, you're the one that's like actually being pretentious about this because you're like disregarding other. And I think that is a big problem with small towns. And the fact why I don't think a lot of people from small towns should be allowed to vote is that, (laughs) (laughs) is that you're not dealing with like actual real world, the actual real world. You're Mm -hmm. dealing with your little insulated reality which isn't reality at all it's like what do you know about like a girl who needs to get an abortion or uh trans rights or you know anything of that nature like what do you know about that in your town in the town that they're from you know you live in the texas massacre house and i think i think the movie is a lot about his growth and i think it's but it should also be her strength of like she loves this guy so much that she's willing to pull him through that, mm-hmm. through that mentality and pull. And she's willing to stick by him despite the fact that everybody thinks he's crazy and all that stuff. So that can all be tied into that, like small mindedness. It's like, she's willing to work on this guy because she loves him. Yeah. So I would love to see the genders flipped where like, you know, a guy actually, you know, Oh, like just the, the oh, same, maybe not. The, I don't know. Yeah, the same movie, but just yeah, but yeah, no, that's um, that's a really good point you make about her strength. Like her character, um, we meet through flashbacks all the way through to basically the point that she gets back. Amazing, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and the flashbacks are placed in incredible, like incredible, and the coloring of this film and the and like because you know the the present day stuff is very dark and drab, and then you you have this bright dream like coloring to the flashbacks. So love, and, yeah, love. Right. Yeah, and just incredible, incredible performances from both of them. We already talked about Gardner being incredible in the Battery, but he's again in this movie he's really great. A little bit more, honestly, you know, his, his character in the Battery is a little bit more out, outgoing and extroverted, whereas in in um, in After Midnight he's a little bit more, clo- you know, he's obviously going through something quite uh, quite real and mentally, you know, it's not, you know, the Battery zombie apocalypse. This is a very human drama and many elements and. Gardner portrays it incredibly well, but yeah, Bray Grant, because the initial scenes where they were happy and just moving into the house, she's really, and then that scene where at the dinner table, that flashback to when I think Wade's wife 
you know, is like, oh, I'm not, I can't, yeah. yeah, I can only do four of the five S's because, or three of the five S's because of the, you know, the sips wheel, whatever. Um, you know, she says she's pregnant, and you just see, you know, the happiness in Freya Grant, the Abby's the character name's eyes, while she's also you can see a look at look at Hank like with this this loving Long. this loving yeah. longing sadness because she wants that with him, but. He's making those comments, and and he he's also not noticing her. At he all. seems like such a dick. Yeah, he's just like, like oh, that's... he's like, oh, fuck that, you know. Like, it's not that's not exactly what he says, but essentially what he's saying. But then she's looking at, and he's not noticing her at all, and it's just no, such a, and she's just having fun with Wade. Yeah, <laughs> and so Which he's. Is... Like, it's so obvious if he just turned around and looked at her eyes in that moment that he could see how sad she was, but he's just not noticing it at all, and it's like that is such a microcosm of the entire issue of the film and what they get to in the end is like he he just and it is a slow burn he just didn't notice yeah it is and but it's it's a slow burn that is incredibly quick and that's what yeah but it's well yeah like, it's a short movie but like you don't realize that like like you don't know that they've been together for 10 years until the that scene that we've already talked about which is the the crux of the film yeah uh, i think uh, it, them it's, just it's, sitting there it's hinted that it's been a while i can't remember if it's the numbers but like when uh the should be brother-in-law come and comes and visits him earlier in the film fucking shane yeah yeah but then like um you know i think hank says something like we're not family anyway like and uh shane he says yeah though and it's like yeah yeah, that's weird weird. but like but but then shane goes we fucking should be by now like he just kind of yeah yeah, exasperated tone which kind of just Hints at the fact that this has been like they've been together for a long time so yeah it is it is kind of a monster would have killed shane it's just all I'm saying. I thought that was what was going to happen. No, I'm happy. Yeah. I, I kind of, like, there was a, a shardin for it. And, like, at the end of the film, like, I've, I think I mentioned earlier in the pod about all of them seeing Hank kill this monster. Like, there's such an impressive nature about how he does it. And the fact that Shane sees it and sees Hank both prove that the monster is real and then deal with it. Um, I think and also just kill the living shit out of it, which he, like, stabs it maybe 15 times more than it needs to be stabbed, which is, you know... But that's a, like a great scene of the film because it's like him letting out all his frustrations on whatever the monster represents to the audience, and but also what the real, the very real monster represented to him, which nobody believed was real. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you deserve to die an awful death because <laughs> you fucked up my life for a long time. Yeah, and I like how there's no explanation. For it. It's kind of just fun. Yeah, and that's what like I love movies like this, and the battery was like this in a, in a way too. Is like it drops you into a situation, and that's it. Like you, 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 you know, some movies depending on how they're made, that it's just like these characters' entire lives started at the start of this movie and they end at the start of the movie at, at the end of the movie. Whereas you, you, you know, there's a life lived before this movie, and there's going to be lives lived after this movie. It's just Absolutely, you've just been dropped yeah. into a particular moment of time that does have some importance because there's a monster attack in the house and there's a big relationship dynamic change happening as well but yeah it's just a a moment in time for these characters and we just get to experience it for the 83 minutes of the film which is really cool can i sidebar for a second of course i think that's what makes three billboards so great the three three billboards outside of ebbing three is like everybody all the fucking la people and new york people have fucking hated it and we're like oh this is so unrealistic it's like what the fuck do you know about small town Missouri? Like this is, could be very realistic. Mm. And they're like, Oh, she's just going to like firebomb a police department and get away with it. It's like, do you know small town politics at all? Like, do you understand like the shit that's been covered up in this fucking country? Mm. Like 
you're being dropped in your little bubble inside this story. It's not it's not a story about you. It's a story about this little fucking town yeah. and what happened inside this little fucking town. And so it should be believable. Mm-hmm. Like it's so fucking annoying is that people have to find something relatable to like like it. Yeah. And like criticize Ebbing, Missouri cuz it's like, "Oh, it's a, it's this or it's that." And it's like, "I'm gonna fuck you." What do you what the fuck do you know about the Midwest? Like Yeah. And to be fair, are, plenty of people from yeah. big cities enjoy three billboards too. It's just you had the I agree. There's yeah. just a huge backlash to yeah, it. And it was, it was and that's off, what... and I wanted to do three billboards at some time because I thought it deserved to win the best picture that year. Yeah, I can't even. Remember. I think we've talked about this. On Moonlight the... one. Moonlight one. Yeah, well, that's um, yeah. I think that's yeah. Had to be La La Land year. It might not have been. I, I will. We'll figure it out. We'll, I have we'll talk. We'll no talk idea. about it. The last we'll about five it. years of my life have been look twenty 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 has taken five years to get through. So who knows? Um, yeah, I can't wait until it's over. <laughs> it'd we'll be over in a little less than uh two weeks now yeah. though so a little less than three weeks my bad knocking on this uh heavy heavy wood table right now um i'm knocking on some particle board i believe <laughs> some wood in there somewhere <laughs> um yeah uh back to, uh, back to after midnight though um i i mean getting to a bit of production stuff about it like we've talked about i mean the acting was great um well look I think beyond the relationship dynamic, there's also a really cool thing about how males deal with this shit, with um, the relationship between Wade and Hank. Um, yes, and, bring this uh, up. Yes. I, yeah, I have a yeah. point to make about this. Yeah, yeah well, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just introduce it and just talk about it. I mean, the bar, well, uh, just the first light harder part, that bar scene where the uh, Wade drinks the gorilla fart is both... <laughs> incredible act, incredible acting it's of, just obviously called a bar match shot yeah. it doesn't need to be called a gorilla fart like it's i know that shot and it's a bar match shot like yeah it doesn't have to be i remember this being hey, talked about Florida. When we were, well i remember it being talked about at like at the yobar when we were in college i remember this conversation coming up about drinking that stuff and like you and me were both just no we're not gonna that's never gonna happen um but that that scene was just great writing um i love the uh just the conversation they have is very real. Um, you know, just you're you're a grown man, Wade. You got children, like <laughs> you're a father. <laughs> yeah, you're a father. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, and then yeah. he just goes, "That's why I get to do this." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, like, they did a great job. Here's getting... to be a uh, proud serving American or whatever yeah. he says. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing is very real. Again, like going back to like that conversation like that's a very realistic conversation just like the conversation they have when it's like not a breakup conversation but one of those really serious conversations mm. you have with your your partner where it's like you know we're getting into it right like we're, there's we're not breaking up but like we're getting into the crux of this like mm. we need to figure out what's going on and as serious as that was is as non-serious as that conversation at the bar was but it was they're both presented with absolute reality is what it's actually like to do these things because you and me could that could have been you and me at uh the obar any given night um not taking bar shots but like well whiskey which was very bad um, yeah, we were doing the picklebacks and just getting them to drain the pickle juice out of jars out the back just so we could do picklebacks all the time i remember i remember we were like had a day at the obar where we did like I think it was a college college Saturday. Like we were just there from like probably like ten AM through like six or seven. Like just a solid eight hours of sitting at a table at the bar doing picklebacks. I remember 
late in the day, they just said, we're out of pickle juice. You guys are just... I remember one of the pickle pickle sh- juice shots I got had like a slice of pickle in there. I was really excited and just like that that you, you we were just hanking weight at that moment in that moment just exactly yeah. yeah and and there were people looking at us funny when we kept on getting pickle backs like people didn't understand it but like man pickle juice is a back for a, yeah. a shitty whiskey is like the perfect like the, the combination is perfect it's basically Gatorade but <laughs> people looked at us funny all the time in that bar that's yeah. how it goes and like that's but like Eugene was a big enough city where you, you don't get looked at funny or you do get looked at funny for that shit. Whereas like the small town bar is like, you know, there's going to be a bunch of characters in the small town bar, yeah. but they're all regulars. And we were regulars, but so nobody should have been given that shit. But like in this small town bar, it's like, yeah, you can do that shot. And then like do yeah. a really nice shot of bourbon right after it because, <laughs> yeah. because it tastes like going blind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I said, to, I think I said to you in the text messages with the, the outtakes of the film had, um, a yeah. couple of different lines. He said, I think the w- first one that was, um, he's he takes a shot and then he's just like, his face is screwed up and he's like, it's coming back up. I can feel it coming back up my nose. It's like, it, it's, it's like snorting lava. And then, <laughs> and then the other one is just like, it, ta- it tastes like frowns. And I just lost it with that <laughs> one. <laughs> they used the right one for the movie. It tastes like going blind. It just, it just was perfect yeah. <laughs> for the film. He also just sells it like perfectly. Uh, like, he's such a good actor. They're like, you know, I texted you about that right away when I was watching. It's like, oh man, Wade kills it because like that scene is so perfect. When you take a shot, it's obviously awful. You take a sip of beer and it does nothing. Yeah, <laughs> and, but then so you like still want to look cool in front of your friends, so you're like, <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. I've done that so many times where I've taken a shot and I haven't thought about my back for the shot. David face. Yeah. Um, and I've just grabbed the nearest beer and you take the... And it's like, you know, if we were at the O-Bar, it was very likely a Budweiser because it was like, you know, $2 a beer or whatever it was half the time we were there. Um, and so I'd take the shot of the shittest whiskey that we could buy and then take a sip of Budweiser. I'm like, God, I need something like... It just made it worse. <laughs> yeah, picklebacks make sense at Pickle, the end. Yeah, picklebacks, once you, once, you, once you introduced me to that, that was a... That was a game changer. But there's like and then the Wade well. and Hank's relationship throughout the film is just like I think one of the most like heartwarming parts of it, well, especially that's what, like that's what I wanted to get to because I know you love this. Bit. Yeah, when they're walking, when they're going for the hunt for the creature, but it's really that. Yeah, that, I gotta come up with a new closer now. But yeah, oh, it's okay. all good. Sorry. Well, that walk. <laughs> I, that, I don't give a shit. That, I got plenty. We that got walk. That walk about. was such an integral part of the story because that's like um, beyond. Um, you know they they're going out for the hunt, but it's like it's such a male thing to go and do something else. And you mentioned this off air, I think. And then, but then, eventually, actually say the thing that is the, is the reason you need to hang out. Like you know, he's just like you know they they're walking around looking for this creature, but Hank knows he's not going to find it. Then it's the daytime. Yeah. So after. Yeah. So and you know they they're chatting shit and Wade's walking along talking about squid creatures and aliens and just. You know, it really just talking about his own fears, but then Hank finally, you know, finally mentions that Abby's left, and you know, <laughs> you, you, it's your favorite lines. I'll let you say it, but oh, it's like I knew something was up. I'm just sitting over here talking about aliens, squid creatures, and shit. I'm an asshole, <laughs> and it's just the, it's the way he said, like, 
it's such a like really good friends thing of like you want to say you're an asshole but you have to get through so many different things mm. like before you can say it but he like also like injects i'm an asshole before he almost finishes the other side it's just fucking perfect again the actor who plays wade is amazing and seals the film in my opinion but uh it just also is like it's so much about friendship of like where you know you like you kind of have like a weird friend like kind of like our entire friendship you have a weird friend but like you trust that they like you trust them and you're really good friends with them so it's like you will follow them into war which is what wade does with hank Mm. and he doesn't even have his gun because hank asked him if he has his gun he has a fucking axe and and then he still and then he has that axe at the end of the of the uh, movie which is hilarious too (laughs) and so it's just yeah if yeah I like this movie. This is almost like every movie you do. Like I like it more when I talk about it, like talk it out, you yeah. know. Cuz I think being able to see movies with friends in or like lovers or you know, family or whatever is like I think it's important because you get to like talk out all this stuff rather than just internalize it and like, you know, not just live inside your own echo chamber but like talk to somebody about like Oh yeah, I really like this part because this is what I got out of it, and then like you can bounce back and forth on that. And I think that's how film and art is supposed to be um, intook, I guess. <laughs> Intaken <laughs> is supposed to be perceived, I guess. Yeah, well, that's a, that's like film, like the enjoyment of film. You know, it's, it's certainly a personal experience, but the real like fun of enjoying films is it's such a community experience as well. That's why you know going to the cinema is great, like especially. You know, it's spooky season right now. It's not that we'll do um, There's uh, The Conjuring Part 2, but that movie, me and Andrea went and saw that on opening night and it was a full cinema and just like... Yeah, that movie yeah. is such a popular franchise and the, the Conjuring movies are quite entertaining and, and do have some genuine great scares and some creepiness to them. Just seeing a movie like that in a full cinema on opening night just screams and laugh Like, those nervous laughter, that nervous laughter that people do when they're... That the, energy. That energy is just such a, that, like, that's just like, me and Andrea also said, like, after that, and I was like, let's wait a week for them, because we didn't, it was, there was one, there was, I think there was a couple, as as happens, unfortunately, there was a couple of people who were chatting through it and on their phones and stuff like that, but, so, but 98% of the crowd were just really into the movie and having a great time, so it was a good, good fun part to it, too, so it's just like, yeah, movies are such a community experience, and even a movie like this that was never going to have a big screens you know full cinema like that like you and i getting to enjoy it now like talking about it and um you know a film that's so much you know so much packed into such a small film and uh and so many themes and stuff that's what you know enjoying film is is like uh yeah when especially with movies like this with such depth of uh thematic stuff below the monster movie facade that it has it's um yeah that's what this is what movies like this amount i'm sure jeremy garner didn't make you know obviously movies that people make and write and direct they're doing it for themselves as a passion project uh, especially guys that work in this indie kind of realm but you know the, the the bonus of it is that they they probably hope that people do get this kind of emotional uh, response to it and and realizing what it's trying to say, so it's it's really cool to to talk about it. And, yeah, it's like yeah. yeah, it's hardly a horror movie. It's just like you know, just again, like almost a rom com yeah. or not com, but like rom drum. Yeah, I, I, I describe what what did it say? And the wiki says romantic monster movie. So there you go. Yeah, 
because it is there is the monster is very real and the the romance is very real and the monster you know the word monster can both mean the uh the monster that's hiding in the back of like the the metaphorical monster that is the the angst in the relationship and and the unknown but then there's obviously a very physical monster in it too so it's um it's very very cool that you can do a movie that um has that kind of connection between and uh, I I respect the respect the hell out of write like you know I I like writing and want to be a writer and like I respect the hell out of people being able to write something like this because it's what everyone aspires to is writing something that has such a such a real you know there's obviously the realness to the monster part of it but then the metaphorical side of it and it, and it melds together so well that's what's really impressive is how you know people that would try to do this that don't have the experience to be able to do it would probably this could be a bit clunky but to do a such a short film like this uh it's a feature-length film but a short the shorter end of feature-length films with such a natural blend of the the re- the issues between the couple but then they also the monster in the movie is just such a cool thing like it's yeah like i said i respect the hell out of it yeah, I think it's, you know, it's allegorical, just like all the classic history horror films are, you know, the Wolfman, Frankenstein, and mm. the creature from Black Lagoon, they all represent different things, and the authors are trying to get a different point across just by using monsters, and I think that's what Gardner was trying to do here, which is very cool, it's a very cool nod to that kind yeah. of thing, Yeah, the classic you know and that's what you want or that's what you want out of that's what you want out of a a horror film if you're me i know you're like you know this is your month and we're in it (laughs) it's spooky season i like scary movies enough but it's like what you really want from these films if you're not an absolute horror fan because there's no gore in this or anything or like jump scares really like we've already talked about but the only gore is right at the end where is and it's really just his face being splattered with the creature's blood you don't even actually see the creature other than the cat being eaten like an apple but yeah yeah and and (laughs) that's uh horror lost pod we talked about darby a lot like right out the gate i remember that yeah, Rizzo just looked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rizzo just looked up as we started talking about the cat, which is super scary. But anyway, there we go. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I swear cats live in the fourth dimension. I swear they do. Rizzo! I just, I just, I just put the mic down to it for a second and got a good, good fight, a couple of seconds of pairing. They don't adhere to human law. They do whatever <laughs> they want to do. Well, her pairing is on the podcast now, so she's officially had her first appearance like that. So, um, yeah. You like, made a big appearance last time, too. Yeah. <laughs> of, like, the one that's forgotten. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's like, horror movies that... Um, I've talked about this with you before, but often the, the horror in horror movies is the unseen. Like, you see so many movies, like... Um, even the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre isn't actually as gory as it's maybe popularly known because it was a low budget film in the seventies. A lot of it is what it set the tone though. It was gory it's, enough. No, it's, it's quick cut. Like it's people like I haven't seen, I need to re- revisit it. Cause it's been a while. I haven't seen it. I've watched, I've watched some, I've watched a lot of the later ones now. Cause there's different off, offshoots of it as they keep trying to reboot it and whatnot. The one um, with Jessica Bill. Not bad. Yeah. Well, that, that was Yeah. But, um, a lot of it was like, there's actually not a lot of, it's the way they shoot angles and stuff in that movie. It's what you perceive to happen after that. Like when they put the person on the rat on the hooks, 
it's not like you see the hooks going through the skin and all that, that gory detail. It's because you know what's happening to the body and you have that human understanding. Well, and that Jessica Biel one, they do cut the dude's leg off. And he yeah, well, that, that's that's a, that's a remake. That's a remake off. remake with a lot, lot higher budget. Same same director of photography did the original Texas Chainsaw and, and the remake. It's really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of matchup shots yeah. in them. Yeah, with, like, like I said, it's the same money. same guy that he get, they they when they were doing the remake, they asked him to come back and he, he ended up doing it. So it's kind of cool, like because he's. I mean, that shot where they walk up to the house is very, like, almost exactly the same, but, like, it's a little bit, like, the first one looks more Texas, where it's, like, yellow outside. Mm. Like, you can see the dirt in the air. The yeah. second one is kind of more, like, gray. Like, yeah. modern, <laughs> modern, uh, yeah, modern uh, horror films, but, yeah. Yeah. But yeah what I else? actually, like, yeah, I thought it was a good remake. The yeah. uh, original remake, that is. Yeah. Um, what I was getting to with that was like the the when he when he just says um, I saw the like you know the creature take you know pick up the cat and take a bite out of him like it was an apple. That is like that line is horrific because you immediately because as as a human you know what taking a bite out of an apple is like you know what cats are cats are these small you know cute creatures um, and you're picturing a creature picking up a cat and taking a bite like an apple like all the horror is in your mind in that moment. Yeah, but so they show that in the film. If you rewatch it, because I watched that scene just like when he shoots, and it's like a split second. Oh, but you, there's yeah, gore. But, there is gore. Yeah. Um, but but like a lot. I of didn't want to see it because I love black cats. But yeah, a lot know. of the horror in like movies like this is the uh, like what you just perceive in your mind, like what you what you see in your mind, rather than and like you know just it's just so even when he's hacking the creature apart, you know what's happening there, and it's just blood in his face, but you. Yeah, and then the, the, the some of the horror is the is the um dynamic of the you know the human horror of the dynamic of relationship as well. Like, and that's what horror movies are so good at doing when they do it like this is just by, um, yeah, giving you something to go home with that's uh to think about. That's um yeah, it's just yeah, it's all metaphorical and yeah. I just I I love this movie more and more as I've wa- I've rewatched it a couple of times this week in my original watching. Like that was the big thing for me was. I watched it back in April and hadn't watched it for a while. And then I suggested it and was like, hopefully it hits. Like, hopefully I enjoyed it as much as it did the first time and I have. So that's what's really cool is like, it's it's got a staying power and being like I said, I think we said on the the lost uh, original attempt at recording, like it's also really respectable to do it, to do it in eight, um, 83 minutes of film um, because it is nice. Wow. That, it is nice to have a film like this that you can throw on and finish within an hour and a half. Like, you know, um, I love I love long films when they when they work, um, but I love having a film that's um, within an hour and a half that I can just throw on, like have as one of my movies that I know to throw on for a late night, like just need to watch a movie and chill out for a bit and watch something that I enjoy because this movie's you know short and snappy and has a lot like despite being low budget and um, you know small cast and you know small town and uh, you know the monsters barely there it's still such a short snappy and effective film it's um yeah just so I respect so much of what's gone into making this film work yeah it was a uh, really easy to be able to watch it like right before last time we were gonna record is I think I watched it on you know one night and then there was a day and then knew we were going to record on a Sunday and actually ended up watching it again on that sunday like mm-hmm. when i you know i had an hour to kill and it's like if you have an hour to kill then you have an hour and 23 minutes to kill yeah so it's like 
it. So threw it on, watched it again. Except I didn't watch the end, so it really was more like an hour. But uh, I knew what happened in the yeah. end, and you like you, you know, going back to see it though and see the nuance of it was very good. And yeah, I mean, it is annoying these days where you're just like trying to find a movie to like. I, I watch films all the time when I'm going to sleep um, or like playing video games before I. Well, I'm trying to wind down my day, and it's like you see something that's over two hours, and you're just like, "Fuck, man! I don't want to like in like, <laughs> you know, I want to wind down. I don't need like over two hours of content yeah. right now, you know, where I'm like emotionally invested. But like a lot of the great films now are definitely over two hours. Like that goes back to us talking about like Once Upon a Time. It's like, yeah, like I need to like. Shh, chop out like an eighth of my day to watch yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> so yeah it gets frustrating so that yeah that was fun i do think it could have been longer and i would like i think we could have got like even more backstory on um hank and his lady's story a little bit mm-hmm. but uh i do think maybe and then maybe even a little bit more hank and wade you know that wouldn't hurt i love hank and wade yeah. They're amazing, you know. I guess from a, film but, making, from a filmmaking standpoint, for me, it's like it's not needed for what the story is trying to say. So it's like if you're just putting filler in there for if you want to really make a true character drama, but I think this was a drama about this instance of a relationship rather than they just threw the cat. You, you needed the character set up, but they... You could have made you could have made a two and a half hour movie out of this if you wanted to really get into the, the dynamics of what yeah, the right. build up was. But what they were doing was trying to say something about a particular moment rather than a, a sweeping drama like Magnolia or something like that. You know, so I while it, it certainly Magnolia is super long, yeah, maybe so, too long. Um, so while what you're yeah, I, I it's like I agree but disagree at the same time because like I think you, there is so much more to these characters that we don't know but it also for what this film was trying to do it's also it just makes sense to be what it is so it's, it's really interesting um, the three billboards thing they drop you in yeah and just and just accept what's going on yeah just accept live in the moment yeah yeah and i think we should normalize shorter movies i don't think you should have to make like i don't think great movies should have to be over two hours long yeah you know yeah and I'd, like again like i'll i'll i love long movies and love um, you know the Lord of the Rings. That's the thing, though. Like I've got the Lord of the Rings extended edition box set, and I love those movies, but I haven't watched them in like fucking five years. Like I've watched one of them in the last five years because it takes a lot. I can't like you need yeah. you need if you want to watch all three of them and have a marathon, you need literally half a day because they're I think and a break of weed. Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a hell, a hell of a fun day, and I'm down for it. It's just I don't have the fucking time because. Yeah, we're adults now. We're not yeah. fucking eighteen, where you like get the extended editions and are like, "Well, I've been entire, these I've been back to back bacon. to back." It's like, "Fuck no, I don't. I yeah. got shit to do. I got to do laundry." Yeah, literally, I need to do that. Yeah, same. So. Yeah, that'll be that'll be the first <laughs> thing I do after we stop recording is like throw a load of laundry in because it's like my day off. So that's what's why, uh, like, going back to the battery is like Mickey complaining about Ben smells. It's like. Dude, you're in a fucking apocalypse. Yeah, like, yeah. just you gotta just let that shit happen. Yeah. Like, also, Jeremy Gardner going full full frontal in a low budget film. Wild card. Good <laughs> on him, dude. That's like literally selling your soul for 
for uh, what it is. So yeah, it's just him. it's just being you know just you know putting your heart and soul and that like, would probably feel pretty good. Dong into in the, the process. apocalypse. Yeah, showering in an, a waterfall. Mm. So in Connecticut, I guarantee it's cold as fuck. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then if you just also, I need to find a waterfall around here. I haven't seen one goddamn waterfall. <laughs> I'll have to get on the IMDb and um see where the shooting locations were exactly. No, they <laughs> shot in Connecticut. I saw it on the on the the credit scroll. Oh, okay, yeah. They they like thanked like two different places in Connecticut for their catering, and I was like, oh, fucking cool. Oh, so you'll find it then. Not where I live, but close enough. Connecticut's pretty small, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those tiny little tiny little states that gets pointed to with a an arrow when you're looking at the map rather than a <laughs> Um I mean honestly yeah, it wasn't very far away from where I am. Yeah. But uh Yeah, it was fun. That was fun, that was a little fun, you know, nugget for me. But uh Yeah, about Connecticut connection. I'm not most viewers. I, I happen to live in Connecticut. <laughs> Yeah, well, we had that Fargo connection from the re- the real story of the uh, the wood chipper murder of <laughs> last time. That was like fucking thirty minutes away from where you're living right now. Um, yeah, I the new season of Fargo is good. It's not great. I still, I, I've just, I finished the first season, but we're only time. four episodes in. Yeah, I've still got to get through the second and third season on Netflix before I get. Well, the second it. season is the best one. Yeah, I'll tell you that right now, and I don't want you to go in with. Yeah, I've been holding off because I haven't had time to like. Because I like to watch. If I get into a show, I like to be able to finish it in a couple of days. So I'd like have a couple of days of binging, and I just haven't had the time for it. And yeah, I got feel a busy, that. busy couple of weeks coming up. So I'm like thinking it'll just be a, well, something I wait for the for November for at the moment. But yeah, and I enjoyed the first season of Fargo. So. Um, yeah, it's so much different season to season. Yeah. But it's we, all good. Yeah. All right. So, tomatoes. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, just before we do that, do you have any closing thoughts on After Midnight or just... um? I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean... Same. It's, <laughs> you know, most of the films we do, I've seen before and stuff. And so I, ha- I have preconceived notions before we mm. go into the podcast. And, you know, I'd only, and now I've only seen this one twice. And then also, you know, now I've seen the battery and yeah, I liked them. Yeah. Um, no, like overall takeaway, except that I wish like more money would have got pumped into them. And we like, we could have seen, you know, because I th- I think the stories of both deserve more money mm. to be pumped into. So yeah, but then maybe some of the charm comes from the fact that so much hard work was put into them that made it made, just made them work. Like that's also true. And yeah. I think there's something to be said about like I mean I'm sure you know Gardner and Stella and Co would love to be getting more money to be able to just touch up like any any of the but I think after midnight production value it was just spot on in all in all ways it was really done well but yeah it's um. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about the, the hard work that some of these people do in these low-budget films to make them work. Um, yeah. Also, just think Gardner deserves more work. I yeah. think he's, he's in a very good, an incredible uh, actor. I told you about a movie that we may not do for this spooky season, but I'll probably at some point in the future I'd like, love to talk about this one on on the pod. But Bliss, which is a uh, fuck, I'm forgetting the director's name right now. Um, he's done a couple of movies. I've got the I've got the double of them. 
I love them both. Let me just up now because I want to give it a plug. Because Gardner is in the film and uh, and is a decent is one of the main side characters for the film. Uh, you type in Bliss in Google and you get a bunch of fucking spars. Like no, I want the Bliss the movie about the lady that drinks blood and takes a shitload of drugs. Um, uh, you're talking about Mag's girlfriend. <laughs> Joe Bagos. Joe Bagos. Yeah, they, yeah. He's a he's a wild dude as well, and um, he's got another film called V. Only an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, too. it's another so. it's another great um, a different. It has eighty eight on Rotten Tomatoes, which is exactly the same as um After Midnight, which is already spoiling there. But also five point eight on IMDb. So IMDb, it's probably I am no. It it means it's a brilliant horror movie, and <laughs> IMDb like only has like. Fucking, it's, it's, you get to eight maybe when you're making Fargo. So that's where IMDb just is an incredibly tough aggregator, which is fine. Like, it's, it's, but, and these are all just, it's all subjective anyway. So, um, but yeah, Bliss, uh, Jeremy Gardner's in that, um, as a just obviously just acting, but, um, he's really great in that too. And, um, the, uh, he's a great actor and I wish he would get more like yeah. roles in, I think he could do a lot of stuff outside of horror. Yeah. The main girl in um, Bliss is fucking unreal, by the way. Like, that movie is wild. Like, we'll, we'll do that at some point. But um, let's get to the After Midnight Tomatoes. Um, actually, there's one thing I wanted to say before I, just before we get to that. Um, the, the If you've got the Arrow Limited Edition Blu-ray of After Midnight, or if you've just got a Blu-ray copy... If of you're it, one of the other six people beyond David that has it... <laughs> I think I'm, I actually have to check Arrow to see if they're sold out on there yet. But um, yeah, they, it's a really oh, any edition of After Midnight that might have the behind the scenes stuff like about the making of it. It is wild. Like that house, that house was really just a decrepit house that they found, and they're just like I believe it. It looks like bunch, shit. There's a bunch of scenes in that behind the scenes where Jeremy Gardner himself is just wrangling snakes out of that fucking house and then there's one camera shot where you look up at the gutters of the house where there's a hole looking up to the second floor and you see a snake just fucking running through the 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 wall i don't like it so that house is literally like just it looked like it must have been infested with snakes and there's one guy jeremy gardner has to be from the south because like (laughs) if you're like cool with that shit two two different times one time he's on the second floor of the house i'm pretty sure and he's just holding a snake like i'm just like and just like kind of just you know as snakes are moving his hand he's just wrangling it i'm just like and being that i come from a country where like every snake is going to kill you it's just like it's just scary to me immediately so i don't know if these were like you know deadly snakes or just you know your uh you know, safe snakes. I don't know. We don't have snakes over here that won't kill us. So, um, Jeremy Gardner doesn't even have his own wiki. Yeah. Can yeah. No, it's, it's hard. This to find, shit. It's hard to find like details on him, but I, I'd have to go to his IMDb, but that's fine. Like, um, but yeah, wild. just, it's a really cool to see. Like when you watch behind the scenes of a film, that's truly, truly low budget indie like this. It's like, you see that there's a lot of hard work that goes into like, they, you know, they they had to get a set design crew there to, you know, fix up. Oh, them. shit. He's from Kissimmee, Florida. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that's, that's horrifying. That's like being from Australia. Like, <laughs> like, Jesus. There you go. So he's, he's probably just grown up with it, so that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's uh, cool to see a film that they had, they had to do. There's a lot of hard work from... Not just the guys in front of the camera, but um, the you know see it, the behind the scenes features on the disc uh, show do show a lot of the hard work that the guys on the other side of the camera did as well. So it's um yeah, 
It was really cool. Like, you know the scene where he goes out and shoots, like, he's checking the mail and blasts off the shotgun at the car? Yeah. Like, they must have been out getting ready to shoot that. And then, like, a fucking massive, like, bike race just came past on that road. So, it's just they've just got Jeremy Gardner sitting there with the shotgun slung over his shoulder as, like, 20 guys on Lycra are just coming past and he's just waving to them. That's fucking... Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just so good. And it's just, like, the, the magic of movies. What you, what you, what you, I would love to have a beer with that, dude. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think Jeremy Gardner and Joe Bagos as a pair would actually be a wild pairing to have beers with. Um, yeah. Uh, tomatoes. So, this one, this one's an interesting one. Uh, the tomatoes is 88%, which is really good. Same as Bliss. Uh... It's got 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It's only got a... (laughs) It's got 64% of Google users like this film. Now, I can immediately work out why, but it's it's probably the biggest divide I've seen between Tomatoes and Google users. And I think my initial reaction to that straight away is that people expected a monster film of a traditional... Right. And not enough people appreciated the romantic, the actual story that was here. And that's why you've got you know, 36% of people go on a thumbs down when they've watched this film because they've been like, what? Romantic, <laughs> romantic, dr- fuck that shit. I wanted a monster movie. Like, that's what I, that's what I think that, that that's all I can put it down to because this film is, does not deserve to have like, you know, one third of Google users giving it a thumbs down is a pretty significant amount when you often see the Google, Google users thing will often be uh, very uh, high um, and similar to Rotten Tomatoes or better but it's, you know, 24% worse than Tomatoes, which is quite a stark difference for such a film like this. So I'm I, I interested to hear your thoughts, but I genuinely think this is um, a bunch of people that didn't realise the kind of film they're getting into. Which the, the trailer does... I saw the trailer, which we've talked about now. Yeah, well, that... Uh, that not that, on air, but... While that does amp up the monster side of it, it also does not... Like, I watched the trailer and then watched the film and was like, yeah, it's kind of like I got the relationship stuff out of the trailer. Like it's, it's straight away is the missus has left him and he's dealing with a monster at his door. There's obviously something deeper going on. Like why would you have the missus has left him stuff in the trailer if that's not an important part of the film? So like I got it from the trailer, but some people probably just saw the trailer and was like, did they just ignored that and just was like, oh yeah, yeah, there's a monster at the door and a guy with a shotgun. Yeah, I'm going to watch this movie. And then they didn't get enough monster and... I think that's why it's got such a, um, you know, stark difference in the Google Google reviews compared to the Rotten Tomatoes ones. Yeah, um, I would give it an eighty-one. I think it was good. Just, just I know I rated that above uh, the battery, which I I said I liked more, but uh, I do think the production value of of the film does bring it up beyond, you know. You get, you know, it's confusing. You battle with yourself about this uh, this stuff too yeah. in your mind. It doesn't really matter what uh, I say. You, people are allowed. Like, to, people are allowed to change their mind on the fly with what they like because that's just what being human is. You change your mind and think, and you grow with your experiences with the movie. So that's fine. <laughs> I think I just think they. I enjoyed the battery more, but I think it's a better. I think. After Midnight's a better film. Yeah, I I, I don't think that's and that both of those both of those things can be either. okay. Yeah, yeah. I just wish there are things that I wish would have happened in, you know, the battery that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like as far as decisions made for the film, and then um, 
I think after midnight they did a really good job of decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they they figured it out and they got exactly what uh, what they wanted out of it. And I think that I think that should be celebrated. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what's um, really impressive with this film and why it has. Well, you know, there's a bunch of Google users that didn't know what they were getting into. I think that's why it does have a good Rotten Tomatoes score is that people have respected both the filmmaking craft that's gone into it as well as the depth of storytelling they've done in and wrapped it up in such a short time. Um, I know it did well in the festival circuit. and um, Yeah, it's just one of those indie, indie darlings as people talk about. It. It's just one of those films that will never... You, you're going to have to tell people about for them to see it, but um, there'll be enough... It'll, it'll just be a movie that I think in 10, 20 years people will be like, have you seen this little one from like 20 years ago? Like... It's kind of a horror movie. It's just, it's got so much more to it than that, and people will watch it and because the production value is so good and the the filmmaking, the 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 quality of it is so good. It it'll hold up in in ten twenty years because it is such a well made film. Even the even the monster creature design is very good for the limited time it is actually seen on screen. It looks great. So yeah, it's just all round a film that um, is going to hold up for years to come, I think, as well. And just very accessible because, obviously, we've talked about it already, the short runtime makes it very easy to... If someone's looking for something new and ready to ready to try something new, it's very easy to say, hey, this movie's only is under under an hour and a half. And, um, yeah, you'll, uh, it'll get you... Get... God, I'm sorry. I'm losing my hearing. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm losing my hearing. That that was like one of the louder ones I've had on the pod. That one, that was a, uh, that really they they hit the horn right when they saw your face looking through the window. I reckon they were just like, "There's Shay, fuck that guy." <laughs> just... They know what they're doing. Yeah, they <laughs> absolutely do. Yeah. Well, there's uh, a lot of pictures of uh, Gardner and uh, Stella smooching, so that's fun online <laughs> if you want to check that out. Well, there we go. There's a there's another another rabbit hole of the internet you can go down to if you want. But yeah, it's um yeah Gardner and and Stella and his and his, and the rest of the crew that have worked on both these films have done such a fantastic job. And um, I look forward to what they do next because they're still young young filmmakers and young people in the in the film industry. So it'll be interesting to see where they go next because they've got a bit of got a bit of clout with this. And you know Gardner's had a role in you know Bliss was a recent decently well known film in the horror circles now as well and so yeah there's some good filmmakers coming out of like this kind of indie indie side of filmmaking at the moment which is super super cool um i think that's about wraps it up we've gone gone how long have we gone on this one we've gone almost two hours which is um one of our longer pods so uh we did we did like double double the runtime of the film yeah (laughs) we we got two films into this one though so we've done a pretty good pretty that's true yeah pretty good job of getting getting um talking about both two very good films so um yeah until next time um raise my barossa valley brewing hop heaven ipa the green can if you're both. pumpkin head. yeah you got this you got that sleepy hollow label i just fucking love i'm so jealous of that one right now that's dope um but yeah raise my pint to both uh, the battery and after midnight jeremy garner with doing and christian seller and all the crew that worked on both they did a fantastic job of two films that need to be seen by more and more people um, but yeah, until next time, we'll roll some film, pour some pints, pop some corn, and I'll see you next week, Shay. You say, I only hear what I want to.